Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 173rd episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that is more than happy to agree to endorse your product after the fact for the mere cost of 10 shares of your Alpha Black Lotus. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week, as always, is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. Uh, looking forward to tonight's episode. How you been? Here we go, Raptors. Here we go. Oh, uh basketball did they win they won right dude you, did you not see the pictures of the party we had in the city today there was like uh, hundreds of thousands of people on the street <laughs> for blocks and blocks and blocks it was mental in toronto today wow that is uh that is exciting for that city i suppose we are we are very excited to have stolen a trophy from the u.s <laughs> that's good job guys Good job. Um, now, now you cowards just need to give us an NFL team so we can do that one too. Yeah, sure. You can get ready. You can have one, I'm sure. I know our, they've been trying to push it in London. Our, our football teams only need three downs to score. So it's not going to go well for you. Yeah, it's a three downs, eight furlongs to a <laughs> meter stick. and um, Yeah. yeah. Put, a little, uh, put a little maple syrup on the ball. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know if you... Uh, if you feel like you're living in a time warp or what, but spoilers for M20 started today. <laughs> uh, well, no, they started last week when we got the three Chandras, but they true. officially started today. True, yeah. So it's and so I looked it up. The official release date for Horizons was last weekend, so yeah. there were exactly five days where there was not like between the, la- the launch of the last set and the spoilers for the new set. It's just ridiculous and, and again not even i mean we got chandra's before mh1 yeah. hit the streets so yeah um yeah they're 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 testing the waters they want to see if we'll accept back-to-back spoiler seasons constantly well except yeah but then it's we're dead until like the fall set right no like, no, no, no no commander sets are in like three weeks or something yeah but commander sets are like they're not a full launch because it's not 250 new cards it's like 40 isn't it Maybe maybe a hundred. I don't think it's as deep. You're you're totally correct, but they are an increasingly big deal in the Magic community. Sure. Um, you know, with the the ascendancy of EDH two being one of the two most important formats, um, and I would argue probably surpassing Standard. Like I think Modern and EDH is where it's at, some total. Um, although I don't have super hard numbers on that. I think we know for a fact that those are the top three. I would be very curious to see total participation figures between the three but i would imagine that because you don't need an lgs to get a play group together for edh that the when you're including commander games that don't happen outside the home you're probably pretty likely to be beating standard participation yeah especially when you consider there's probably three to four people each time they sit down um i'd have to go back and look at the attendance numbers for gps standard versus modern over the last year and see if i'm talking out my ass um, I did that a couple of years back, but I haven't done an updated take on it. And I think I was focusing on modern versus legacy at the time to try to win that debate, which is now kind of seems silly in retrospect since we clearly won the debate. Um, 
the but yeah i think the Wait. decks are a big deal but it's what's even more interesting is we still don't know what the name of the fall set is no so wait hold on don't get ahead of me so i'm sorry the debate was between what i, I missed it you said it and i it, a few years back we were one of the things i would argue with people on twitter about was whether um legacy was continued to, oh, to be a real that, format that, that's what i like thought format you said. nobody ever talks about yeah that's what i thought you said i wrote that article in like 20 what year is it? it's 2019 i wrote that in 2013 i think 2012 sure i wrote that article that legacy was going to die um so even if Commander comes out, if the Commander's spoilers for Commanders are three weeks after M20, and M20 is in two, like three weeks, so that so if you figure Commander spoilers wrap up at end of July, you still have like all of August and most of September, right? You have all of August and like half of September. It's like six weeks. There's still a large chunk somewhere in the summer with no product, I think. Yeah, I think it's like you're which gonna just get, makes you're this gonna, feel you're gonna weird. Get, you're going to get spoilers probably September twentieth or something for the new set for the fall set. So you'll get like most of August and maybe two and a half weeks or something where we'll, we'll finally be out of spoiler season. Hmm. Yeah, it's definitely odd. Uh, I feel like this, the timing is is odd that it's so close now when it's so much wider somewhere else. But um, all right, so. Ah, uh, looking forward to sharing some value information with all of you. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. So, we have the usual four segments, I imagine. Uh, yeah, pretty close, pretty close. Segment one, our top movers. We'll talk about the cards that have increased the most in price this week. Good chunk this week. Segment two, our cards to watch. James and I will run through the cards that we think have a positive outlook. Segment three, our metagame week in review. This week, we are looking at one of the modern challenges that we had not too long ago. Uh, and segment four, there's a new project that lets you buy fractional shares of uh, Black Lotuses, which, if it sounds familiar, it's because we discussed it back on episode 151 in the mid-November of last year so. Uh, about seven months ago now, we actually talked about this as a possibility and whether we would see companies moving into that space. And here we are seven months later, someone's doing it. Uh, but let's start out here at the top segment one, our top movers. First on the list, Gravecrawler foils out of Dark Ascension, 17 to about 30. And I assume the buy box promos are lumped in here too. Um, no mystery here. Hogak has far and away been the biggest takeaway out of Modern Horizons. Um, and Gravecrawler is a component of that, so people are mopping up the foils that are still out there. Yeah, I mean, Hogak is moving plenty of cardboard. The It took, as we're going to discuss later, a significant number of the top eight slots at the Modern Challenge on Magic Online over the weekend, so we'll uh, need to discuss what the risks and rewards paradigm looks like for, this, for the related cards. Yeah. Following that, Flamekin Harbinger. Uh, so if you've been watching Magic 2020 spoilers at all, you will notice that there is... Um, I mean, we kind of got a feel for it last week with the Chandra spoilers. They all mentioned elementals in some capacity. 
And then today we got uh, an uncommon who very clearly supports a draft archetype for like tribal elementals. He gives all elementals uh, like a power boost and what have you. So elementals are a theme in Magic 2020 to some extent. We don't know exactly how hard they're going to push it, but we know it's at least semi-supported. Um, and elementals are moving as a result of that. And I will tell you, somebody is making an effort out of this, James, because I went looking this morning for the Watchtower when we saw some more of these cards come out, and I'm like, okay, well, let me go see what the options are. And Flamekin Harbinger, gone. Uh, Horde of Notions, gone. So, like, Primal Beyond foils, gone. So someone, before Monday morning, saw the elemental themes and went, I'm in, and is just cleaning up old Lorman foils that haven't been reprinted. I don't know if they're going to get anywhere with it, but somebody's making the effort. Yeah, I, I'm not tremendously surprised. You, you see this over and over again now. If a theme is announced, FOMO will drive speculation whether it is well-considered or not. Yeah, and for the record, I think elemental spec is, eh, it's okay. It's okay. You might get, it depends on what they print. Like that's, it's a big F. If they print a really cool legendary elemental, five color elemental that people want to play with, that'll do a lot of work. But if we don't really get a big, big, exciting, sexy elemental uh, Lord, then I don't see the tribe taking off. We got a rare one already today, right? Uh, Risen, no, an uncommon. Risen Reef. Yeah. Look, look promising in the sense that it, when you think about Lorwyn elementals, you think flame elemental. And the reality is that there have been elementals in, I think, all five colors probably over time. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and it looks like we're going to get a bunch of interesting effects that aren't necessarily synergistic with each other, which could just lead to uh, decks that have a lot of options and can be built in different interesting ways, which can, mm -hmm. in fact, in some ways, uh, injures the focus of the tribe, but gives... But that flexibility may mean that people come at it from a bunch of different angles and more overall elemental decks get built in at least casual and EDH circles. Yeah, it, it will. I think it will heavily depend on the quality of the commander. If the command, if, if the legendary they print is really good and, you know, gives the tribe the tools they need to do cool things with elementals as a component, but not like you have to draw nothing but elementals in order for it to be useful. I, I could definitely see people flocking to it. Um, but without that, I, I don't think you're going to make a lot of traction on those specs. And because we don't know what decks this slots into yet and haven't seen the, the, the commander yet, it's all about going shallow. Because same kind of approach as when slivers were rumored, right? You don't want to be caught holding 100 sliver queens if slivers aren't in the set. You want to be holding a reasonable number. Yeah. Yep. All right. What do you got next for us? So next on the list, we've got uh, Altar of Dimensia. No. Sorry, looking at the wrong list. We've got Mouth <laughs> of Ronom from Cold Snap Foils going from 10 to 20. This is just people fooling around with snow themes. Um, this is the one that lets you sack it and I think play, pay four and a snow mana to do four to a creature. Pretty clunky as far as a utility land for modern purposes, um, but uh, given that Scrying Sheets was targeted early and hard um, on rumors of snow themes, uh, there isn't a whole lot left to clean up, so I'm not surprised to see this trailing about a month later. Yeah, this is somebody uh, with their own little bit of FOMO who wants to still profit on the snow theme 
but missed the boat. Yeah. Uh, after that, we have Bridge from Below. Uh, no surprise there. Hogak, uh, Hogak's moving a lot of cardboard these days. Yeah, Bridge from Below was my pick last week. Foils from 15 to 30. What's this one? What's this one say? 10 to 20. Well on our way to a successful call. Yeah. And honestly, can't even really take credit for it. It would have been obvious to anybody that was paying attention. <laughs> Good job, James. Good job being along for the ride with everyone else. <laughs> Good job reading words. Um, Deadeye Navigator foils 10 to 20. The uh, Possibly one of the most reviled EDH cards <laughs> out there. Uh can't believe it's still legal honestly um the refrain seems to be that it's not that this card is the problem it's all the other cards you play with it i don't know exactly how true that is but uh as i understand that you had a couple of these in your possession as well is that correct i'm pretty sure we called this a while back i mean there's no way that we haven't written about this card or talked about this card at least once or twice like it's just impossible for that not to be the case i want to say that within the last 20 weeks we called this card somewhere around six or seven dollars on foils and some drained at the time from the pro traders making a thing of it for five minutes and then you know it some flowed back in the market but because this was the foils were only ever uh in let me think about this what does it have another foil uh it was in in one of the modern masters i'm pretty sure well 2017 yeah so it'd be it would be abyssin restored in modern masters 2017 but like that would be it yeah so i mean abyssin restored was far enough ago and mm17 didn't have that deep of a print run so a situation like that um is not that tough for inventory to drain out of the market and for you to get your exit yeah, I, and it's it. You know, I actually thought this was a little weird because I had wanted I wanted to make this a card to spec on so many times, and it just every time I looked at it, this doesn't mean this was always the case, but every time I looked at it, it felt like the supply was too high. I'm like, ah, this feels like it should be more money, but like the numbers just didn't seem to be where, right for me. Um, and finally, it moved. I, mean, it, I will say it's a, it's a surprise it took this long for the card to get there, honestly. I mean, this was reported overnight. I think this was a movement in the last 36 hours. And I'm pretty sure this morning I picked, snapped off four copies from our sponsor, Cool Stuff, Inc., for like under $7. That's so, pretty nice. Never assume that there are no copies to be found, folks. Make sure you got your tabs uh, open and ready to rock in your browser. Yeah. yeah. Uh, after that, Psy Master Thopterist, uh, Automagic 2019 foils, about 10 to 20. Um, so he's been popular in several places. I know that the, uh, Urza deck in modern that we're aware of, uh, makes yep. use of Psy because every time you cast the spell, it spits out a Thopter, which then taps for mana. Um, he's also popular in like the Urza EDH decks and other EDH strategies. Cause again, spitting out those Thopters constantly is, is a valid strategy in a lot of different places. Um, so the, I think size is interesting because here you have a standard legal foil rare at tw- apparently $20. I mean, he was $10 before he got cleaned up, which is already pretty good. So there's definitely, even though it feels like standard cards are wrong to spec on a lot of times, there's clearly enough demand at times to make that not the case. Well, if something's seeing standard play and it's doing well in other formats, then you're all good. 
It's when something is only standard and you're late in its cycle that you want to hold, you know, take a big step back from that kind of thing. Yeah. But Psy, is, Psy has always been flagged as more of a casual EDH cube um, and now clearly has the chops for modern. So. Yep, he's uh, he's a good card. He's a good card. Uh, I'm just looking up his numbers from Chorus at 2019, but I would guess he's top 10, if not top 5, from that set for EDH Rack. Oh, he's got to be uh, right. Number 5. Yeah. In front of him, you have Arcades, the Strategist, which is number 1, believe it or not. Um, Nicol Bolas, the Ravager. Vivictus Asmati, the Dyer. Goraclaw, <laughs> Terror of Calcima, Sisma. And Psy, Master Thopterist. What? That, that one of those is not like the others. <laughs> uh, I would imagine Goreclaw is actually going to get bolstered here, if anything, because Ayula is on the scene now. Goreclaw, let me look that. It oh, is this guy. 4 3 for 4, legendary creature bear. Creature yeah. spells you cast with power 4 or greater, cost 2 less to cast, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, uh, he, was pop- the, he was the bear lord that wasn't a bear lord. Yeah, the problem there is, of course, that most of your bears don't come in with power 4 or greater. <laughs> Uh, so I'm not sure how much synergy it actually has with a Eula, but people will probably throw it in there since the, that deck is definitely more about playing with bears than it is being good. Right. Uh, Vengevine out of Rise, the Eldrazi, and the UMA copies 20 to 40 or so. Uh, again, Hogak. Vengevine is a big part of the Hogak deck. People are playing it. So there you go. Uh, I haven't looked up what happened with the MC, WMCQ foils after we called them last week. But I should probably do that. I don't know either. Uh, why don't you go go on with your bad self to the next pick, and I'll report back in a sec. <laughs> All right. Liquid Metal Coating non-foils. Uh, looks like a double up, but we're looking at like a dollar or so to two. Not a huge jump. I'm seeing the Commander Anthology copies listed specifically, but I'm sure the Scars copy are in there as well. Um, but it's it's some fun tech with Karn. You know, if you're already playing Karns to go get your Mycosynth Lattice, Liquid Metal Coating will turn anything into an artifact. So you can Liquid Metal Coating something during your opponent's upkeep. It's an artifact for that turn, which means it can't activate it. This includes lands. So if you want to freeze out somebody's land for a turn or um, a card with an activated ability, it doesn't prevent creatures from attacking because that's not an activated ability, but kind of gives you the idea. It's a specious, I would say, but... Mm-hmm. So... The report is that we clearly got the timing just about perfect on that. I called 35 to 50. There are currently four listings left at near mint on TCG. 38, 50, 45, 49, and 63. So that one's looking pretty good. Okay, cool. Uh, Moving right along, we've got Heroes Podium. I think this, if I'm not mistaken, this is the first Oathbreaker card on our list. Probably. What does this Probably. card do again? I, I seem to remember this being on my like watch list for Oathbreaker. I don't act uh, here. It's it's a anthem effect of some sort. It is each legendary creature you control gets one one for each other legendary creature. So it's a coat of arms for legendary creatures, and then it will tutor through the top of your library and put one into your hand. No, this is not the card I was thinking of for Oathbreaker. I have no idea what's going on with Heroes Podium, to be honest. Okay. For each other legendary creature you control. You know what? This is probably Sisse. Uh, I guess. Weatherlight Captain. Yeah. That's what makes the most sense, because she's the new five-color legendary tutor, right? Uh, They did just print one, yes. 
Yeah. Pretty sure I pulled one out of a box of Modern Horizons last night, so that makes a lot more sense. Okay. Um, oh, yeah, because she's in Modern Horizons. That's what it is. And the good part there is that the old Sase was green-white, so she could, uh, if you were running her as your commander, she was very limited in what she could pull up. So they've now re- you know, hit the the upgrade button on her to make sure that she can you can play a fully focused five color legendary team. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. I caught that. They were talking about making sure that she could reach across all the colors. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then we've got Lava Dart, uh, a card that I, I think another card that Daniel Fournier, our uh, resident pro expert, comes in to talk with uh, about it, new sets with us. Uh, poo-pooed as not being sure it was going to be played. Poor, poor Daniel. Poor Daniel. It, it has top aided and five owed multiple things since then. Uh, in fact, I saw multiple tweets on Twitter today. People talking about how it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Um, this is, I think, mostly for two reasons. One, that it is being found testing very well and playing very well in Arclight Phoenix builds, where it gives you yet another thing that you can cast. Um, for uh, for free from your graveyard by sacking a mountain, um, and also is good against both humans um, in cases where they have one toughness available for you to target, uh, as well as uh, the Vizier Remedies uh, decks that have been upgraded uh, with things like Eladomri's Call, um, and you need fresh ways to make sure that they don't be aren't able to combo off. Mm-hmm it's it's a it's an effective card it's the type of thing that i think is difficult to really get a feel for in terms of its uh impact on a format unless you are intimately familiar with the deck that might want it because it's such like a a small almost metagame dependent function right like there are there are modern formats where this card is unplayable and there are modern cards where it's the best card in the field and it, it just like kind of is a, a factor of whatever is popular it's not particularly good if you're playing uh against tron or something right 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 like if tron forgets a big boo suddenly this fades away um necro skitter out of eventide non-foils uh 450 to about 11 this is on the back of yawgmoth being in people's hands yeah. uh they are excited to play with yawgmoth as a commander um the mono black commander's got a couple cards this week necro skitter rewards the minus one minus one counters uh that he um yawgmoth creates we talked about necro skitter a while ago when uh that black green chick who makes snakes was uh, was popular hapatra thank you um so that's what's happening with necro skitter there's already this is interesting because there's already a really constrained supply because of hapatra which means that this price spike is likely to be a lot stickier because a lot of the copies have already found their way out of bulk and into those decks uh and aren't really going anywhere they're pretty settled yeah. So I expect this price to be pretty good. Uh, yeah, I mean, without further copies entering the market on this card, it should be pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Okay, so next on the list, we've got Tainted Remedy out of Magic Origins. Foils going from 250 to about 6 or 7. Um, this is on the back. I'm pretty sure if Hogak decks were running this as a one-of, if I'm not mistaken. 
you you tell me because I saw you write that down and I was unfamiliar with that as tech. Let me just bring up a list on goldfish I was looking at. Um, simultaneously, I was looking at something else I wanted to talk about here. Uh, yeah, that's interesting too. I'll get back to that <laughs> other little tidbit in a second. Um, I do have a very sexy lava dart in my cart, and I want to explain why it's there, um, because I think it's going to come up as pertains to a few different cards. Um, why don't you head to Insolent Neonate, and I'll get back to you on Tainted Remedy in a second. <laughs> uh, okay, so Insolent Neonate foils out of Shadows over Innistrad, three bucks up to about eight. This guy has been definitely worth considering for a while i think i've written about him once or twice possibly uh he finally jumped up like i said up to about eight he's being used in the hogak deck now he's also been using every dredge deck since he's been printed um and how oh, does he have two printings i almost want to say he has two printings uh no no it's still over the shadows over innistrad it's He's just an SOI right now, which is why you're paying $8 for a foil common. But as soon as this gets reprinted, you're getting crushed. So sell this card. It could be two years before this gets reprinted and he's a $25 foil before then. I don't care. Sell it because they can put this anywhere and you will go from $8 to 20 cents uh, instantly. So get out of the way of that truck. Tainted Remedy has nothing to do with Hogak. <laughs> Stand corrected. Okay. Thinking about a completely different card, pretty sure. This is the enchantment from Origins, two and a black. If an opponent would gain life, that player loses that much life instead. I think that's Aria of Flame, actually. Um, that makes more sense to me. Yeah, I mean, that's still super sketchy. Um, Aria of Flame is a card I do believe in long term that it will eventually pop up somewhere. Um, I, okay, so I have a question. Where are you seeing the link between Tainted Remedy and Aria, Aria of Flame? Because Aria of Flame gives them 10 life. But like, so if this isn't, did you just browse through Modern Horizons, see that card, and go, "Oh, this is it," or did you see it someplace? No, no, I saw people talking about it somewhere. I just couldn't remember okay, what, okay. what the reference was. Um, but it okay. makes perfect sense, right? Because with this in play, you dome them for ten with a three mana card, Aria Flame, um, two card combo naturally. Um, but it also uh, prevents them from gaining life if that was their plan against your whatever burn or storm action you've got going off. And then whatever, if you're lava darting out of the yard, that might just be game. Like if they were sitting at 12 and you play your Aria Flame into a Tainted Remedy, they're probably just dead. Now, whether burn spells or storm uh, decks, sorry, burn or storm decks ever want to be running two three-mana enchantments that don't actually deal damage on contact is a whole different discussion. But that doesn't stop sure. people from going after things. Yeah, I mean, I can kind of see it like the the Aria of Sorrow of combo Aria is, of Flame. is Aria of Flame. Yeah, Aria of Sorrow is the that's a Castlevania game. Um, is is cute, probably too cute, honestly. Uh, but let me rephrase that: it would be too cute if the combo allowed you to dome them for ten, but Tainted Remedy didn't have otherwise have an impact on the game. But the fact that it interferes with people's main strategy against burn is also good because tainted remedy isn't great in burn but it's fine on its own and then it's really good with aria and possibly blanks your opponent's sideboard cards pretty hard um so i don't i don't think it's awful i'm what is this seven bucks i'm 
for foils, I am inclined to tell you to hold. Really? I think you might not want to sell here. Do you think that's crazy? Hmm. I mean, seven bucks for, it's a Magic Origins foil, no other sets, no other printings. Uh, it's a weird card that reverses an entire function of the game. So I feel like there, the odds that this is really good in um, Modern Burn, limited. Limited uh, limited chance that this is really good. But it's a type of card that like, something like Aria is going to come out again. Fit. And then something like it is going to come out again. And people are going to keep kind of going to this card. Not to mention, it's I think it's pretty popular casually. And I feel like it's just going to kind of keep going I, I think you need, until they reprint I it. I think you need a commander that is focused on this process that can support both cards. So, like, for instance, Aloro probably likes Tainted Remedy just fine, um, but can't play red cards. So you need, like, a Mardu Aristocrats-focused commander to plug in both of these cards where it makes sense. And you're playing in Mardu, so you've got Enlightened Tutor to go get one half of the combo, along with other things you might want to be doing. And then you're running, like, Sanguine Bond and whatever the other black enchantment is that turns that into an instant kill. Um, I mean... Uh, imagine like a black white commander, an Orzov commander, whose text was like, "Whenever you put a creature into play, either all opponents, all players lose one life, or all players gain three life." Like you would never build that without tainted remedy. Yeah, I'm just going through some right? like the available commanders and trying to see if there's something immediately. Anyway, <laughs> I I don't think you need to be in a rush to sell it because I don't think Aria Flame is even really capturing all that much imagination space. So you might actually have some trouble unloading it at this price regardless. Um, and if you've only got the single copy, you may as well put it into a sweet deck instead of worrying about getting it out of your possession. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, if I, if I have one, I'm not getting rid of it. I'm just holding on to it and hoping things get better down the road. I, I, some, Whatever, I somehow doubt it's the kind of card this. people have a big stack of. Um, uh, they see, that's funny because I think this is the type of card somebody out there went, this card's insane, and then bought like 70 of them. I mean, and they're waiting because they think that someone's going to break it at some point. I mean, because we hang out in the MTG Price Discord and not the Reddit MTG Finance <laughs> yeah. community, we see people seem more sane. But I am tent like aware that out on the periphery there is insanity going on. Just remember that guy who has how many copies of like Final Fortune or whatever. Yeah, yeah. The, the seventh edition <laughs> foils, there, which man. are already in the money. It's just like, the question is how long will it take for Bylist to absorb his collection? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's going to be your final fortune. He'll, he'll be sending uh, two to buy a month for the rest of his life. Probably. <laughs> so let's see, wait, where are we? All right, so that was Tainted Remedy, Insult and Neonate. Uh, Endrixar, Magic 2015, foils, a dollar and change up to five. This is another uh, Yawgmoth card. Because yep. um, he spits out a bunch of creatures that you then get to eat for your nefarious purposes. Mm-hmm. Then we got Blister Coil Weird at a return to Ravnica. Foils going from about buck fifty to five bucks. It was featured on the SEG um, head-to-head, uh, I think, last Friday. And the idea here is that people are using it in Arclight builds that also leverage Lava Dart um, and uh, punch through on the back of Prowess. Um, cast a whole bunch of spells, bring back your Arc Lights, punch through. Are you doing that on purpose? What? <laughs> Prowess? <laughs> I suppose. To. I mean, because I'm, I, I'm not. I don't want to give you a hard time, but like, I, I would never think to pronounce that anything other than prowess. Now you're gonna make me look it up. 
No, I'm not going to I'm I'm like, get baited into that. I wonder if you're like setting me up. Like, is James doing this on purpose to like make us like more likable and make it a thing? <laughs> no, if I'm making a mistake, is he trying it's to not, copy it's the saffron? Mistake. I'm just not entirely yeah. sure I am. All, see, all of my mistakes are dishonest. I, I feel like I, I keep hearing it in a British voice when I try to like rethink it. So it's really messing me up. <laughs> now I'm not sure at all. Um, Wisp Mare out of Lorwyn foils from seven fifty to, in theory, $30. <laughs> That's a funny one. Uh, this is on the back of Hogak using this as anti-leyline tech for sure. Because um, I think they're running either three or four on the board. So this is Hogak players foiling out their decks. Or people okay. thinking that they can trap Hogak players into paying some ridiculous amount for Wisp Mares. So... Uh, it, okay, it is be seen a lot of play. I because I saw this and I immediately thought, oh, this is a uh, whatchamacallit, Elementals. an elementals card. No, not really. Was was where I went with it, and I mean, I think to some extent it is. I do think that people are no, it took, playing it. It took off before we got that news. Oh, it did. Okay, okay. Well, I mean, so did Primal Command and whatchamacallit are gone already too. Right, or Primal Beyond and Horror Notions yeah. were gone w- w- when I checked this morning. Wisp- so somebody jumped on that. Wispmare is a four of in the sideboard of every Hogak deck. Okay, okay. Fair, fair, fair. Because it lets them, they can evoke it in for one to get rid of an enchantment. So if they go yes. turn one ley line, you go turn one Wispmare, move move right along and kill them on schedule. Yep, yep. Yep, 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 yep. I'm familiar with the card. Uh, okay, so what do you got next for us? Virulent Sliver at a Future Sight foils from $5 to 20 This is just yet another moderately rare sliver that people figure they should target because EDH players will want them. And the thing is that almost name a half-decent sliver, and I've probably sold a foil of it in the last six weeks. So um, I don't think you want to be super deep on any of this stuff, as we've been saying, but... Having a couple copies of this that you got in early on is probably going to pay off. How about uh, Homing Sliver? Nope. Haven't sold one of those. I've sold like at least 12 different ones, though. Like Opaline, have... <laughs> Synapse, Shifting, Psionic, um, Megantic. Mm-hmm, Pretty sure I, sh- mm-hmm. I shipped two Mana Weft Slivers today, which are probably more like Tier 1 Slivers, but still... I also have uh, not sold a, um, a sliver, homing sliver yet, and it is the one that I bought a bunch of. <laughs> so very happy about that. What's what's uh, Violus looking like? Uh, I well, they're foreign, so oh, Violus doesn't oh, really like help me that much. Well, I I, I do the, I do I go in on the foreign ones occasionally when I think that it's still um, viable. Like if if the if I'm not worried about people being able to. If I think it's the type of card that people won't be worried about not being able to read. Well, you, you know I support that thesis, but the the only slivers I bought, picked up in foreign were the super obvious ones. Like I picked up a few f- like stray foil Russian-Korean Gale Rider slivers on eBay for cheap, and pretty sure I got some sliver legions and sliver hive lords and a couple of maybe a Japanese sliver queen or two. Um, yeah. And those have sold reasonably well. Yeah, yeah, I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. I know I sold through all my sliver hive lords, uh pretty quickly for sure okay i did want to diverge back to that point uh that crossed my mind earlier before i forget um okay there are a bunch of cards that are in foil in modern horizons that are relevant cards that have never been russian before uh lava dart is one of those (laughs) 
Uh, so foil Russian lava darts are likely to be extremely expensive when people realize they exist and can if they can even find any. That's a that's a funky one. Like I wouldn't think there's a lot of people out there scrambling for Russian lava darts, but I guess I don't think if anyone's scrambling for any Russian cards, but that doesn't mean people don't want them. I, I stuff like this that. A, as you said, isn't hard to remember what it does and is likely to be eternal in the format. Like, I, I think now that Lava Dart's here, it's not going anywhere. You're going to see it in this meta for ages. Just because of its, yes. its, its efficiency. Anything that you can, cost, you can cast for free that fits into a deck that uses red. Especially in a world where both Burn and Arclight Phoenix and potentially Goblins are all relevant decks. And then there's a whole bunch of nonsense, at, like tier two and tier three, that might want it. Um, this was already <laughs> a relatively limited release compared to a standard set. We, we've been talking about it at like 70 or 80% of the normal print run, but that's for English. The foreign stuff is not going to get multiple printings. The Russian, the current Russian print run for MH1, once it dries up, maybe a second wave. Once that dries up, for sure. No more. Like, it's not going to be something where you're going to see Russian boxes on eBay in nine months at, like, 220. Like, if you see them, they'll be 300 to 400, maybe even 500. And the good foil commons and commons, rares, mythics, etc. are going to hold astronomical prices once people realize they're, some of these just have never existed. I think one of the other ones that was on my radar that I have to research, but I don't think fact or fiction has ever been a Russian foil either. Uh, yeah, I don't. That's got so many printings. Like, but I have like no idea. invasion didn't exist in Russian. And let me see. Yeah, there's no Russian invasion, and that was the original printing. And then since then, it got FTV twenty. Definitely no Russian there. Eternal Masters, no Russian there. Conspiracy, no Russian. F and M might. The F and M promo might exist in Russian. Double checking on card market. And the answer is yes. So that's the only other Russian printing. But number of Russian foils available on Magic Card Market? Zero. You have much better recollection of what sets were in Russian than I do, that's for sure. Um, and then the only other places it appeared were all these like English ancillary products, like Dual Dex, Jace versus Chandra, Commander right. Anthology 2, and the original Commander set. So like... It's weird. Right. Sometimes things have been printed a ton, but not in the most desirable, like, foily languages. Um, it's weird. Like, sometimes you'll you'll think, you'll assume that there would be Russian, but there might be only Japanese or only Korean. Some of those, like, middle years of magic um, aren't printed in the languages you might guess. Yeah, it's been very inconsistent. I will agree with that. So I'm, I'm very excited for those... Uh, now that you and I have our tracking numbers for our Russian boxes, Modern Horizons that we sourced at basically English prices, because I saw a confirmation on the Facebook group for Russian cards that from some of the Russian vendors that everything in those boxes is Russian. So the foil basic lands are Russian, the snow lands, the art cards are in Russian, and the foil tokens are in Russian. And I guarantee those. Were, were you expecting them? Yeah, not I thought to be the art Russian? cards might not be in Russian at all. I thought they might they, that everybody might have just got English ones. Um, so those are clearly rare. 
foil Russian. And the other thing is that the word on the street, confirmed from a few different sources already, is that English boxes, at least for Wave 1 of Modern Horizons, I think we referenced this last week, um, are averaging mm-hmm. like 1 to 1.5 foil snow lands per case. That's six boxes. I opened two boxes last night. Nope. No foil snow land. Um, but in Europe, even the English boxes that came off the presses in Europe seem to be collated differently. They seem to be averaging more like 1 to 1.5 per box, which is why foil snow lands are insanely cheap in Europe right now, down to as much as low as 5 or 6 euro a piece, even though in heading into peak supply, they've only dipped as low as about 15 for even the least desirable ones in um, North America. And so, you know, what's a foil Russian snowland going to be worth in a few years? Less than an English one, apparently. <laughs> well, no, they're not five dollars in Europe. I'm talking the English ones are five dollars in Europe. And the Russian foils, everybody knows, are going to be worth money. So they're being posted on eBay and on Facebook groups at like fifty, sixty, seventy dollars. So if you're pulling one per box, that means that our boxes are, let's just say it's fifty on average. Even if it's forty, you're talking about getting like a hundred and seventy to one hundred and eighty dollar box of Modern Horizons in Russian. And then the Russian art sets are probably worth at least ten dollars. I mean, that's what they've been selling the English ones for. And the the tokens people weren't that excited about because they're using art that I think was printed in maybe Battle Bond or maybe it was Conspiracy Two. I can't remember which of the two, but they weren't in Russian. So those mm-hmm. are the only Russian foil versions of those tokens as well. So I would guess that those tokens will end up being a five to ten times multiplier versus the English ones. If the English ones are going for fifty cents to a dollar. The Russian tokens could easily be five to ten bucks. Well, it certainly makes the Russian boxes sound pretty tasty. Well, and like um, Russian force of negation. <laughs> it's a rare. You have a pretty solid shot of pulling one out of your box at 36 packs. It's not like one of the things that people is continue to misevaluate with this set is that the master sets having only 24 packs. If you have 50 plus rares in the set, you're not that likely. You might be 45% to see a given rare. But in a 36 pack box, you're very likely to see a given rare. And... You know, I think EV boxes right now is if you bought $180 boxes, you might be in pretty good, pretty likely to hit about 140 to 170 in terms of what you're pulling out of there. Current value heading into peak supply, but six to 12 months out, I have every confidence that most boxes of Modern Horizons that were picked up under $200 are probably going to get there for people, and you'll be able to like trade out at minimum in the 250 to 300 zone because if you're pulling three to five of the canopy lands plus a prismatic vista maybe a force of negation and then a whole bunch of the undervalued five dollar rares and three dollar rares you're gonna end up in real sweet position the other thing about these boxes is how deep they go in even common uncommon when i open boxes one of the things i typically do is i will first crack packs and pull out all of the money cards and put them aside and then try to figure out Usually I'll label those at their current market value until I get up to the price of the box. And then everything else I don't bother labeling because I consider it free. It's a good little practice to get mm-hmm. into. And the next, the next wave of going through the box to you know, fully sort it out and put it, you know, distribute it into the collection or the spec box or whatever, is to break the packs down into two piles. Playable cards and utterly unplayable draft chaff. And... I noticed very distinctly with this set that the pile of cards that no one would ever want to play with 
in constructed decks was extremely small compared to usual. You go through a standard box, and I would say something like 70% of the cards are probably stuff you could just recycle. In this set, it was more like 60-40 playable to non-playable. That's a really yeah, high ratio of just like commons that are just worthless. Yeah. Like that's a very low amount of commons that are just, pointless. There's a whole bunch of stuff that's not money necessarily, but could end up buy listing like at 25 or 50 cents down the road at common or uncommon just because they're, they fit, they are unique enough that they fit into a slot somewhere that they were, you know, specifically designed to plug holes. And I think that's a, an overarching theme in this set is that there's a bunch of tools that were given to help certain kinds of decks along. And those decks will want those tools, and this will be the only source. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At least, in, yeah, until they hit the, the reprint. And, I mean, they're definitely planning on reprinting all of these. Like, that's that's kind of the point of releasing this, is that they get to keep reprinting them and selling them to people. But that's going to be a slow Super burn. They're going to drag burn. that they out. They called it Modern Horizons 1 with the tag. So how far away is 2 and right. 3? Yeah. And, I mean, I assume we're going to get them every every year, every other year. But you'll still end up in a position where they can't reprint them as fast as and they And I'm would also like to. very suspicious at this or point. As they want. As they to will, whether or not say. we are getting a master style set even, either before Christmas or in the Q1 of next year. And if that does happen, which I think is, I would give it a, say, 60-40 chance right now, um, that may well mean that the waves, the subsequent waves that are expected of Modern Horizons will be even that much more subdued because they're not going to want to interfere with that sales pattern. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Going to be, uh, Modern Horizons is going to prove to be very interesting over the next three months to a and year. And once we understand the pattern, the confidence that we'll add once Modern Horizons 2 hits, because right now we're evaluating this set based on a hodgepodge of theories that are related to other types of products they've released. Yeah, we're not we're not blind, but like we're not using immediately right. related data. Whereas once, you know, we're six to 12 months out from this set, when they announce Modern Horizons 2, we're going to know exactly what to do. <laughs> because unless they really throw a curveball, it's going to be the same kind of thing all over again. Yeah, I mean, Wizards does like to change this stuff every time. I mean, when was the last time you saw an announcement for a standard set that didn't include the text we're changing how we handle promos? Um, so they're, they're always tweaking their distribution methods. But at the same time, like they don't do it significantly enough that like it goes from being worth pre-ordering or whatever to not being worth oh, pre-ordering. Since you mentioned promos, that reminds me of a purchase I made on eBay yesterday. Uh, $160 for eight copies of the MH1 promo, Flusterstorm, but in Russian. 20 Russian. bucks each? It's the only copy, only version of Flusterstorm ever in Russian because it was only ever printed in Commander uh, and uh, was it Iconic Masters? Yeah, that wasn't a Russian set either. So there are no Russian uh, foils. <laughs> there are only Russian non-foils and they were only handed out to Russian LGSs and that there no, you can't, no matter how many waves of Modern Horizons comes out from Russia over the next course of the next year, there will be no more copies of Flusterstorm. Oh, because it wasn't in the set. They continued with the trend of only putting it, making the buy right. promo unique. So 
we've already established there's only a couple like a, a couple of dozen LGSs in in Russia and add in a few more dozen in like surrounding countries like the Ukraine and whatever still doesn't get you anywhere near there being more than a couple thousand Russian fluster storms. So at $20, $20 right. hell, I was selling English copies above that during the hype cycle. So super happy to reinvest in Russian ones. Seems very nice. <laughs> and I would imagine a few more of those playsets will pop up on eBay in the next few weeks. And then six months from now, they'll basically be ghosts. And they'll if they show up, they'll be at $40 plus a piece. I was going to say, what do you think well, the I mean, turnaround Fluster is? Fluster Storm's not bucks? a big deal card in this format. Like, if anything, people felt like the pros felt that it was overhyped versus, you know, the kind of buying frenzy that went on when it was announced as the promo. So it's a here, it's a one or two z here z there z kind of card in modern. So I don't think it's going to be. I don't mm -hmm. think if I had thirty sets, I could just plow through them online. I think it's going to be throw them up at some point within six months. Somebody will buy them, and who knows if it'll take three hours or three months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's probably a fair a fair read on it. I wouldn't expect them to go. So too I want to have. Crazy. I'd probably be comfortable having four or five play sets and looking to out them within a year. I don't think it'll be too tough. If you showed up at an F and like a, 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 a packed house F and M modern with those in your binder, guaranteed you're the only guy in the room. Like the owner of the store doesn't have any, so you're in sweet trading position at minimum. Yeah. Yeah, you're gonna have a hard time convincing your local FNM dwellers how much those well, cards are worth. Well, depends on where you're at. Like, if you show up at face to face in Toronto, nobody's like, everybody is well aware of foreign foil prices. There's, it's all about the demographics of your area. If you've got plenty of people with plenty of disposable income, then they're already on top of blinging out their decks. In other in other places, the yeah. focus is on legibility <laughs> and and yes. preferring English at all times, and that just depends where you live. Yeah, I, I would have to wager a guess that that's the more common environment for our listeners. But, um, God, we're where at, were we? Uh, Grizzly Fate, uh, yet another Ayula card. From Judgment, non-foils from 50 cents to $4. Uh, you probably have copies of this kind of stuff sitting around in your binder, so you should just go ahead and yank it out, put it into your bad Ayula deck you're going to play with your nephew, and move right along. Agreed. Uh, Merganda Petru... Wait, am I in the right spot? Wait, I'll put no, it back no. for you. Hold on. Uh, wait, no, did we just there. change this? There you go. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was like, wait, I was just reading something. Merganda Petroglyphs foils out a future site. Spike to this week. Apparently 5 to 35. I mean, I'm sure the 35 is just a placeholder number. But I, I have no insight into this. I know it's creatures with no abilities get a bonus. The I will tell you, here's the, my best guess... It's the bear deck because a lot of them aren't going to have um, tax and you're probably making a fair bit of bear tokens. <laughs> sure. So, so that's my bet. That's right. my bet. I mean, really, if you're playing the bear deck, you're kind of stretching for playables at like 40. Okay. I can get with that. I'm going to look up a Eula here and see if anybody's reported playing with the card. Yeah, by no means should we actually look this up. We should just gesture wildly <laughs> just, yeah. on cast to whoever's listening. Uh, then we got Fungus Liver from Time Spiral. Foils from $5 to 50 I think you can call that a placeholder. I'm guessing you'll probably out these closer to 15 to 25 
Um, Time Spiral was a while back, and this was a foil uncommon, if I'm not mistaken. Um, finally, River Bear, ninth edition non-foils from 50 cents to 650 on the back of a Eula. I think if you can get three to four dollars for your River Bears, you're doing very well indeed. Yep, uh, I hard agree there. All right, let's jump in this segment to our cards to watch. Uh, you've got a couple choices this week, so why don't you get us started? Uh, so I think you should buy Muraganda Petroglyphs, Russian foils. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Easy to remember. Just gives everything plus two, plus two. And, uh, yeah, that's the cast. I'm just going to go with the one super hot pick this week. I mean, really, Murgano Petroglyphs give cards with no tax, plus two, plus two. But if they're Russian, they essentially don't have tax. <laughs> yeah, it, it also that, that's so in, it just applies to all your rules. creatures. If you can't read the card. It's the same thing. Yeah, it's Petroglyph. That's true. Everybody knows that, too. You can just say it's Petroglyph and people will get it. Um, all right. Yes. So, I mean, if you've already maxed out your cart on Petroglyphs, uh, from the Russian foil petroglyph store. Then you could take a look at uh, nothing because my screen has frozen. <laughs> Your first choice was Sunbaked Canyon. Okay. So I don't need to see it to know it. Uh, Sunbaked Canyon looks like. <laughs> you've you've got Sunbaked Canyon from Modern Horizons 1, Confidence 9, buy at 15, sell at yeah, 25. I knew all that. Um, because Sunbaked Canyon is okay. shaping up to be possibly the most important canopy land uh out of modern horizons it was assumed and reflected in price that fiery islet would be the most important being the blue red land um but i've actually seen significantly more lists 5-0ing with copies of canyon than i have with fiery islet fiery islet seems to be mostly um isolated in arclight phoenix decks um but i and also i guess the other place i saw it was um, there is a version of humans running around 5 0 and it's happened multiple times already that is basically cuts Noble Hierarch and goes to a Jeskai list, and they run seven of the lands total. And I think it was three Fiery Islet and four Sunbaked Canyon. So if that ended up being mm-hmm. the like, true face of humans moving forward, then both of those lands look very good because humans seems uh, likely to continue as the dominant tribal deck in the format. Um, the combination of aggro and you know taxation principles um, or uh, disruption principles that the deck embodies um, doesn't look to be particularly threatened by the current meta. And um, the bottom line is that these lands are really as good as advertised. Um, there was at least I've also seen Sunbaked Canyon show up in Burn. I've seen it show up in Mono White lists. Um, where they're just basically happy to exchange damage for the ability to pull up another card. I think Soul Sisters runs it now. Um, And I think my total list count was something like seven or eight. And at least one or two of those lists are top tier, or at least tier 1.5. The rest are a smattering of tiers below, but heavy, heavy play. So I've got Nurturing Peatland still probably neck and neck with fiery islet i think you know blue red lands tend to do very well uh, nurturing peatland fit, again fits into gitrog and wind grace and all sorts of lands matters strategy and graveyard recursion strategies in edh um, and has also showed up as i think like a one of in jund and i'm sure other decks will find reason to run it 15 dollars seems to be holding pretty steadily 
So you don't have to like jump in hard at 15, but you can start like picking up some copies and looking at dollar cost average when you see coupons and sales. You can use your cool stuff in coupon, level up your uh, account with cool stuff until you're getting like 12.5% off or whatever. And look for an eBay coupon. TCG has 5% off singles this week and just get opportunistic with it. Um, pick up a smattering here or there over the course of the rest of the summer and I think you'll be in real good shape. Um, well, I agree that uh, Sunbaked Canyon is definitely the best looking of the Horizon Lands, um, which I don't really consider surprising either. Uh, most of the time, or should some portion of blue red decks are going to want to have access to all of the land that they can. Whereas a larger majority, like virtually every red white deck is not a big mana deck. And a, there's a lot of red decks and a lot of white decks that would love the effect. Um, so in the horizon lands are very aggressive, right? Uh, you, they're going to, they're slanted towards decks that don't need to hit six lands. They just, they want to hit between three and five and then just plow through the game. So, I, I do th I think as soon as we knew that these were enemy horizon lands, you knew Sunbaked Canyon was probably going to be the most popular. Even though blue red is blue red, it's still white red is the one that was going to get played. The question just becomes, uh, what is the right price point for them? That one, uh, the question is, is fifteen dollars right for Sunbaked Canyon? Probably. If this was a standard set, I'd be like, no, it's probably like six bucks maybe even less. But in Modern Horizons, this is probably the right number. We know that, uh, shoot, the green-white one, canopy. the one that everyone plays. Horizon Canopy is uh, has been very popular in, a, in an arguably worse color pair, has had a fair bit of copies, and the price has held really well. So 15 bucks for the rare land in Horizons, I gotta tell you, at first blush, I don't love it, but the more I think about it, I think that number's probably actually quite good based on what we know about um, Horizon Canopy. So this is, this is I think, quite good at 15, and frankly, might even be a, a hold past 25. I mean, I could see this hitting $40, well, honestly. Well, keep in mind that honestly. one of the things that props up can Canopy was humans wanting to run the list, and people were assuming that as long as they wanted higher, that's the one they were gonna run. But if they... And it's not clear that they're going to ditch for the Jeskai version, um, despite it doing well early. Um, there's going to be some jostling there as people try to figure out what gives them the best overall approach to the meta. But if they do ditch Horizon Canopy, um, then some of its value should tr transfer over to the lands that replace it. And again, if you know if you're saying that in a standard set you might be looking at this at like seven dollars, and you can end up getting these at fourteen with some kind of a coupon, that's about right because the set's wholesale cost is double what a standard set is. Right. So I, I'm not holding right. off. I, I went ahead and picked up like fifteen or twenty of I think the top three um, of the, uh, or at least I think I've gone after Sunbaked Canyon and Nurturing Peatland so far. And have left Waterlog Grove, Silent Clearing alone because they're sitting at about ten. Not, it's not clear that they have a tier one deck to slot into, despite Grove um, being an auto four of in the new uh, Infect list. Um, and Fire Island is just a little too expensive for me when I think that you know Peatland and Canyon have more upside and probably will see at least as much play. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. I think uh, I think it's going to be a, a little bit of a slower burn, honestly. Um, well, I could maybe maybe you can hit twenty five this fall. I'm maybe. not targeting. I'm not that. targeting if 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 Magic twenty twenty is good and people like I'm not even leave horizons behind. I look at most of this kind of stuff like something that is you're purchasing in peak supply. I think you have to be on the twelve month plan. Well, you've got short written down oh. on the timeline, oh, yeah, there, which yeah, is yeah, the only reason I, was... I, I, I this should this should say mid to long. Okay. I, I I think your earliest likely okay, that... exit here is six months from now, like close to Christmas. And one and okay, that one makes of the a lot of sense to me. If they announced a master set or some other major premium product that was clearly knocking Horizons focus off the po- off the podium, um, if they don't do that and yeah. instead they give us yeah. the EMA style Christmas uh, restock for this product then that's going to push you out another six to 12 months because depending on how big that restock wave is. Um, but from what I'm hearing from dealers, like a lot of sealed product sales have kind of fell off a cliff. Um, once the full spoiler was revealed, single sales continue to do well. And now the sealed product and packs are doing solidly, not as amazing as say something like Japanese board spark, but solidly. Um, at your average LGS mm-hmm. and, and big vendor. So that says to me that as these cards continue to find definite homes and it becomes clear to people that they're not maybes, they're certainties, then they're going to start appreciating because people are going to move in on. Yeah. I mean, if there's any Horizon land that is going to get played and it's just going to be like, oh, yeah, this deck has four. Oh, yeah, there's there's four in this. There's three or four in this one. Like, there's just going to be there and you're not going to think about it a lot. Um, that people are going to need a, a actual play set of Sunbay Canyon is the most likely one. Um, so really, it's just a question of, of quabbling over exactly what price you're supposed to buy in at. But I do think it's got the best outlook. If you like Horizon Lands at all, you have to like this one the most. I mean, I think people will still make the argument that Fiery Islet is the thing, and it might end up being so. I just, but and, and if they were the same price, I would probably just go in on them equally. But because Fiery Islet was commanding a five dollar premium, I don't see any reason to hold off on Canyon. I, I mean, the only way that Islet can so if you look at raw play numbers, how many copies are showing up in the format, not in decks, but like the format. Uh, I can see Fiery Islet possibly being more played. But in terms of like how many uh, people, like the density in the decks that they're used, there's no question to me that Sunbaked Canyon is going to be more popular um, because not every, way more blue, way more white red decks want to run more copies of this than blue red decks want to play Fiery Islet. So I, I, it doesn't even make sense to me that Islet would be more popular, relatively, I should say. One of say. the decks to keep an eye on here is this Teamer Wizards list that has five out a couple times already. Four Delver of Secrets, three Monastery Swift Spear, four Soulscar Mage, and four Dreadhorde Arcanist. I think Arcanist is setting up to be a, a major gainer in the next 12 months, to be honest. I've seen it show up in Legacy and Modern lists, doing a lot of work. Um, and now that it has access to things like uh, Lava Dart and... I gotta double check. I can't remember if it can cast Crash of Rhinos or not. Um, but if it can do silly stuff like that, then maybe that's a thing. Um, Wait, Dread which, which card? The tech. Oh, Arcanist. Okay. Yeah, I was whatever like, it attacks, what, you can cast target instant sorcery card with a converted mana cost less than or equal to its power. Do the um, 
the the cards without casting costs count as a zero for that purpose, or are they not castable? They should. Yes, it's they they yeah 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 they would they would they don't because they it's the split cards that are weird but the cards with zero are fine. Looting, Dreadheart Arcanus, and on three you cast Crash of Rhinos for free. <laughs> that's non-trivial. Uh, yeah, that's also a totally fine way to go, right? Um, like that or Bloodbraid Elf, both are, and so this are completely passable. This version, this deck runs three Fiery Islet. It's got 26 spells, Blossoming Defense, Lava Dart, Lightning Bolt, Mutagenic Growth, Serum Visions, Sleight of Hand, Vapor Snag, Atarka's Command, and three Wizards Lightning. Um, that's a lot of stuff you can cast for free with your Arcanist. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a, a fun-looking deck. I'll give you that. That's for sure. Seems like, you know, regardless of how good it is, it seems Storm's like you can have fun with it. Storm's running uh, 12 times it's 5 owed recently and they're running it looks like just one or two copies depending on the list so that's not a major impetus not really seeing blue red uh, arc light lists uh, running islet yet at least not showing up through magic online but that could certainly shift um, yeah it, it looks like the the Jeskai humans is, is the most prominent deck running it yeah which it's kind of funny, honestly. That I mean, that would not have been my first bet, right? Okay, so what's your first pick this week? Uh, I started out with uh, Mystical Tutor. I went poking around, seeing seeing what to see, and uh, I found foils for EMA at about eighteen right now. Uh, Mystical Tutor is the one mana, looks for instants or sorceries, put them on top of your library. Maybe it's only instants. No, it's an instant that searches for sorceries. No, is that Merchant Scroll? I don't know. Whatever. It's one of those tutor cards. It is instant sorceries. I think it might be just instants. I think you're right. Okay, well, well, James double checks it. It is the fifth most popular blue card in all of BDH. Um, So pretty popular card. Foils in EMA are about $18 right now. That ramp is real hard, uh, up to about 35, uh, or it, it ramps up really hard. I think if you get in at 18, you can sell at between 35 and 40 in a little while, probably the next one to six months. Um, you can get the spell book copies at 12. Those foils are 12, but the ramp there is also very hard. So we're talking about a card that was last printed in EMA or it might've been, I, well, I don't know which one came second, the EMA or the spell book, but either it was spellbook. So either way, we're what like a spellbook year now past summer, yeah. spellbook. Because we're a getting year and a half. spellbook now, and that's the yeah, same. a year. Pa- okay, so we are a year past it. This sounds dumb, but every day we go without a reprint, it gets older. Like there's, it, it continues to drain, um, and with how hard that ramp is, I think that these are going to be a good bit more in. Yeah, I know one, this is months. one of my picks, but I think it might be from the 6 to 12 months ago period, and I'm pretty sure it was at a, a sexier, lower value, but then you had to hold them for longer, depending on when you decided you wanted to get off the train. And certainly when, you know, this is something that has come up a few times recently, where we've called something out again 6 to 12 months later with a much more attractive ladder. So, yeah, your your gains are going to be lower, but your hold time's also going to be lower. So you're still totally fine. I think, like, Ether, uh, Etherflux Reservoir Foils was another one that came up like that recently. And I felt similarly about it. Um, both are mega staples and commander. Both unlikely to see an imminent reprint. Although, there is a core 20 problem, potentially. 
Is it something? Can they put mystical tutor in standard? Or is it just too good? Uh, that seems like you're pushing it. I can't imagine. Like some of these eternal cards could be good, could be printable in standard. Like force of will, right? Is probably fine in standard. I don't think mystical. I don't think a one mana tutor for spells is that makes sense. Fair and so, standard. So I mean, on on that basis, then yeah, there's <laughs> not really anywhere for it to pop up anytime soon that we know of. Um, so you. If your whole time is, yeah. say, three to six months, you're probably just fine. I figure that I, I, I'm nearly positive we had talked about it before, but I look at it today. I see you can get it in 18. I see there are, like, seven copies available at that price before it's 25, and then there's a couple left before it's 40, and I'm like, eh, still good. Still, it's, even even though we talked about it before, it still looks good today. So my second pick this week is a another card uh, out of modern horizons that i have a feeling a lot of people will tell you uh wait for it to come down um that i likewise feel the opposite about <laughs> i think force of negation is just a great card uh it's a great card in commander it's a great card in modern it's a great card in legacy it probably matters in vintage even though those, those formats aren't that big a deal um it's probably going to show up in cubes and currently holding pretty steady in and around 25 to 27 dollars and I think if you can get a coupon that gets it down anywhere between 20 and 25, you just go ahead and pick up your copies, even if it's just your playset. If this card gets down to 18 or 19 at some point in two or three weeks, I would that all that will be for me is a, a way to dollar cost average down the chain, and I will happily do so. So I'm not picking up 50 copies of this right now, but I certainly set aside the copies I opened in boxes as holds rather than sells, and because even if it's going to go down five dollars with fees and time spent and everything, it really wouldn't be worth it to sell it into this this situation now. Um, looking to then just pick it back up a little, a little like 15%, 20% lower. And I'm just gonna play this week by week as I am with things like Sunbaked Canyon. Buy a couple of playsets now, wait a little while, see how it's developing. If it's draining as opposed to um, demonstrating price weakness, then just start picking up more copies and accelerate the closer it gets to being a full-on drain. I would not at all be surprised to hit Christmas and find these being $35. And I think on a one-year hold plan, 35 to 40 is very likely indeed. Yeah, hard to get too upset about this. I think that these types of cards like this, the Sunbaked Canyon, are a really good lesson in how to invest in new set cards that you believe in because you can start buying now uh, at release and you're keeping an eye on it, like you're paying attention to what's happening. And then over the next couple of weeks uh, and a couple of months, you kind of watch the price. And then that informs kind of how you're working. If you see the price is dropping and you see the card isn't getting seen quite as much play as you anticipated, you kind of back off purchasing any more copies. You let the price keep dropping until you see it settle. Um, and then that's where you know, you know, once once you've noticed the price hasn't dropped anymore for the last, you know, months or several weeks, that's when you choose your time to to kind of head in. Um, and at the same time, if you're keeping an eye closely on it and you see it suddenly going up kind of quickly, people are on the deck, on the card, and you're making progress, you're you have the information handy, you're paying attention, you go, oh, 
I now I see that what's happening here. I know that that means this card is popular, um, and I need to make buy my additional copies now while I still can. And you get to pick up more copies ahead of uh, the rest of the market sort of catching up. Um, so it requires paying a lot more attention than people might be used to with some of their picks, but it's definitely an effective way to uh, buy up new cards as long as you believe in them. And it's you know something I've definitely so done one of the other the things past. that's got me hot for this card in particular is that vendors were very aggressive with buy lists this weekend in fact i think ed when your your compatriots from um your uh, other podcast um he said <laughs> that he was buying as many as people could hand him at 30 if i'm not mistaken and wow. the out there is japan that's the link japan is pricing these in the 45 to 50 dollar range us right now and so the reason buy lists um are we're snapping these up is that the vendors in question have you know their their linkages set up to out these to the japanese market and they're looking to pick up you know 30 mm-hmm. or 35 percent and send 100 over there at a time that is uh that's a lot more money than we the, pay the japanese are not known for being weak in identifying critical tech for magic the gathering <laughs> No, they definitely also put a way higher premium on constructed playables than. Well, and the last the card, do. the last card, well, they're more focused, right? Because there's a lot less commander getting played there. So they're, people that are showing yeah. up aren't arguing about yeah. whether they're going to draft commander, oathbreaker, or modern. They're just showing up and playing modern. The, um, yeah. So the last card that was flagged in that way was Teferi Time Raveler. And we saw how that turned out. Mm-hmm. We are seeing how that plays out. So, force negation. Um, twenty-five to forty within a year. Thinks very, very safe indeed. I, I would consider it a blue chip pick with relatively low risk. I think that's fair. Very fair. I don't. Uh, I don't dislike it at all. Um. So my second pick this week is uh, Ashnod's Altars, Uncommons out of EMA. With a card I'm almost positive I have talked about before. But like Mystical Tutor, I look at it, I think it looks good. Um, just because we've talked about it at a previous price point, it doesn't mean that it's not still a good choice now. Foils of Ashnod's Altars are about $14 at the moment, give or take. Uh, it is in 25,000 EDH rec decks. So certainly popular. Um, and the card that got me thinking about Altar today is, uh, what's your name, Kaikar? Wind's Fury, Kikar, the uh, legendary bird wizard from M20, who whenever you cast a non-creature spell, create a 1-1 white spirit token. And you can sack a spirit to add a red mana. So the thing is, is Ashnod's Altar does what Kaikar already already does, in that you can sacrifice creatures to make mana, but Ashnod's Altar makes two, whereas Kaikar makes one. So if you cast an instant or sorcery spell, and then you can sack the token it gives you for two mana. It's a really good exchange. Um, and if you have, for instance, let's say Anointed Procession in play two, now you cast an instant or sorcery spell, you get two spirit tokens, you can sack one for red and one for double colorless. You're getting three mana for every spell you play, one of them being red. So that's a, that's a lot of payoff. Basically, it's another tool to use with this commander. Um, and then on top of that, the supply is 
fairly low. There are 16 vendors. There's only a couple people with more than one copy. Um, you know, you're there's several at 14, then it's 17, and then they're 30. So given the very low supply on this today with the uh, appeal of this new M20 commander, who I think by the looks of social media is uh, is looking like one of the more popular legendary creatures out of the set could be the, the closest to a feather we're going to get out of M20. Uh, I'm liking the outlook here. And this is the only time this card has ever been printed in foil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is pretty major. Um, so it's a, on that basis alone, it's a total shoe-in because it just dodged a potential reprint in Modern Horizons. We got Altar of Dimension instead. And in fact, when I first saw this pick, I assumed that's what you were picking. <laughs> I just saw the word Altar and assumed that's what we were going to be talking about. Um, and now I can't decide which of the two I would like better. Wait, between this one and which Alter one? Altar of Dementia foils. <clears throat> Altar of Dementia is a rare in Modern Horizons. Obviously, it is um, has previous foils, but... Well, this just went nuts with Hogak. Yeah. So... With the Hogak deck, um, I think the I think the altar foils are about the same, if I'm not mistaken. Double check that. Uh, Dementia, I think they're like twenty bucks, aren't they? They're a good they're a good five or six bucks more. Um, there are two of okay. There are two on TCG Player. They're forty dollars for MH one. The, uh, the altar of Dementia conspiracy. What about the MH ones though? Uh, Twelve. Okay, so uh, yeah, twelve. I think bucks. you just and there's fifty three vendors. I think you just want some of both. There's no real risk on altar, but it's an uncommon, and it's the only ever foil printing. With de- we can't say altar because they're both altar. Right, but with sorry, ash nods. With dementia, um, hogak. If it sticks tier one, posts up in the top five decks in modern and dodges a ban which I have some faith in because we've seen lots of other decks be complained about as though they're going to get banned and then dodge it. Like we haven't really seen a tactical banning of that type since KCI. And before that, what Eldrazi winter? Uh, uh, it's been a while. Yeah. The, there's some chance Hogak survives. So that's the real risk. If it does survive, then all the Hogak cards are going to do very well. Um, even from where they're at now. And the one, and Dementia is pretty solid. But if you want to dodge all of that risk, I think Ashnod's Altar is a very safe, strong blue ship pick for a commander. Well, I think I think overall that Ashnod's Altar is a better pick, but you also probably can't find as many copies as you might want to mm-hmm. in foil. Um, and where, you know, if you can't find them, then you can switch to the you know the dementia as well because the supply is a little deeper there but there's a lot of pent-up demand for that card and keep in mind that even if hogak got neutered in in modern perhaps by a bridge from below banning or something hogak plus altar in edh is still real they just played it on command zone it's a deck <laughs> does oh, yeah. many of yeah. the same broken things and has access to a bunch of more tools that are not currently legal in modern so uh yeah that doesn't necessarily count it out um, all right, so my final two picks this week. I got four for the week this time. Uh, Hall of Heliod's Generosity. Foils are currently at $20, which tends, it seems to be about what the $5 rares that I think are mostly undervalued um, from Horizons. Their foils tend to be in about the $20 range. 
Um, Hall of Helios Generosity is such an obvious long-term pick that I don't think anybody that's paying any amount of attention could really be missing it. It does what Volroth, Stronghold, and um, what's the blue one that's been on the move lately? Tolarian Academy? No, Tolarian Academy is Gaia's Cradle for Artifacts. Um, oh, uh... Academy Ruins. I know exactly what you're... Yeah, there you go. It's still the same building, it's just at a different point in its life. Um, yeah. So Academy Ruins does it for Artifacts. It's taken off recently. We know that the effect of being able to, being able to get a key card from your graveyard of a certain type and putting it on your library is strong. It's using the same kind of costing structure and everything. The art is fantastic. And it's not a, you know, an if we're going to go back to Theros. It's a when. Like the whole setup in Mythic Edition 1 where Elspeth had her death mask on and all that. We're definitely going back to Theros for Theros 2. Could be this year. Could be next. Could be the three years from now. But I would be very surprised if we don't hit Theros again within that range. Um, and as soon as we know that we're getting an Enchantments Matters set, you're going to see these foils take off. Because they're going to be draining naturally anyway into enchantment-focused decks for Commander and into some cubes. And they're going to be like 22, and then a couple months later, 24 to 25. And then you're going to look at them one day, and they'll be 28, and there's going to be like seven vendors left. And mm-hmm. there are like a lot of this product's being opened right now, and there really aren't that many of the foils. Because if you open these boxes... One of the other key things that makes these boxes a lot different than previous uh, Masters-style experiences is there's not a foil per pack. So you might get, you're generally going to get like one foil rare per box. I didn't see any foil mythics in my two boxes last night, and my foil rares were unexceptional. I think I got like uh, Merit Lage or something. Um, There just aren't that many around, and you can't just crack boxes looking for them, that's for sure. So... Let me ask you this. Do you like the non-foils at 5 better than you like the foils at 20? Um, I have to go look at the supply. Supply is super deep on the non-foils no. for sure. Foils, I think it was 45 <sighs> listings so far on TCG. That's a tough call. I think that on the non-foils, you're probably looking at a triple up. Like... Basically, like whenever Theros gets announced and it's a return to enchantments, I think you probably get a triple up to about 15 on the land. Um, so it's just a question of when that's going to happen. And you will definitely sell a lot those a lot faster than you will the foils. I mean, you will plow through the non-foils at that point if you have them. Um, the foils could pop before that just because there's enough enchantment demand already that you don't need Theros necessarily to force this. Uh, I, at the moment, I want to say it's a wash. I mean, one of the, the, the concepts that I apply to these situations is, will the non-foil be selling as a playset? And I think that even though yeah. this is modern legal, uh, Theros will get people excited about enchantment matters for EDH again, but not necessarily for modern. It's tricky Cor- that... you're hard-pressed to consider that a set of permanents that can't normally be played at instant speed are really going to light a fire in modern. Um, I mean, I definitely read this as a commander card, not a modern card. So if it's a commander-only card and people are not going to be buying four ofs from me, then I'd rather sell the foils, generally speaking. I think that the ROI is lower on the foils, for sure. Like, I like your... I think 12 to 15 is probably what it ends up hitting during the hype of a spoiler season heading into Theros 2. Um, 
mm-hmm. but the foils might be drained in six months. The non-foils definitely going to be a double to a triple up, but is it a year, two years, three years? Who knows? Mm-hmm. I think I think it's a I think either way you're you're not going to miss. Again with this one because there's nothing, unless Theros is this fall, which I don't think it is. Um, you're not going to. There's no reason for you to jump in and buy 80 copies right now at current pricing. You can, of the non-foils. The foils, I think, 20 is about as good as it's going to get, but you can still be opportunistic with coupons and what have you and, you know, get them for 17, 18, 19, whatever. And then just look for your, you know, your opportunities as the summer progresses. Yeah, yeah. All right, you got one last pick for us here this week? Foils, Snow Basics... Um, are probably being undervalued. Uh, even in North America, where there's, say, let me just see what current pricing is looking like. Foil Snow Basics on TCG Swamps near Mint are going for, I think it was about 15 last time I checked. No, they're down to as low as like $10 for the Swamps. Islands still seem to be holding steady around 20 uh, which is a little mystifying to me to me because I think if anything like the most played one would be uh, mountains but one of the things I've noticed is that there are a bunch of lists that have 5 owed in the last week that are running snow basics deliberately um, mm-hmm. yeah some of them are, are have a specific benefit because they're using a snow matters card like ice fang quaddle or dead of winter um, but some of them are just running it because it interacts better with specific corner cases in modern or uh, gets your opponent thinking that you might have a snow matters card that they have to think about when in fact, maybe you don't at all. And so I think there's a cup. These being the only foil snow basics full art for the foreseeable future. Let's say that they get at least three years before anything interferes with that leads me to believe they're going to appreciate reasonably well. And the play here is definitely in Europe. We were sell- we got a deal hooked up for our members through MDG Price Pro Trader last week where we were getting uh, one of each of the five for about $55. So just a little over $10 US per, which is a really good deal. But in Europe, you can actually scoop them as low as five, six, seven dollars on the ground Whew. because Europe's not valuing, valuing them the same way. Um, and that is a hell of a deal. Like, I think you're going to have a lot of trouble um, doing poorly with that. One of the reasons is because of the thing we mentioned earlier about how in Europe they are showing up more frequently in boxes. Like, it's basically like one per box-ish. Whereas in North America, that's not the case. So, I mean, that is the textbook definition of an arbitrage scenario where greater supply in a certain geo zone is going to lead to copies flowing to the US. And I had confirmation that at least two massive orders were sent to vendors over here. I mean, who kn- I, I don't know exactly who it was, but you can imagine which vendors in the US might be ordering a thousand times $10 of something. Um, uh, did you actually, did you look and see, is, are they uh, buy list prices on them? Buy list enough? prices were briefly pretty sexy um, on say Card Kingdom, et cetera but are flickering in and out because they're, you know, they're cracking boxes and ha- they have this stuff in stock. So a lot of the Modern Horizon stuff hasn't hit buy list yet um, in cases mm. where you're talking about a big vendor who has access to their own stock. It's when the stuff starts selling out and their, their stats are telling them they need to replenish 
that you're going to start to see that activated. I would guess that could happen as early as two months from now. Maybe it's as far out as three to six when the numbers get really attractive. But our price on them was good. The prices, if you're buying personally in Europe, are amazing. Um, and I, I see, I well, see yeah, no I reason mean, to hold off on $7 foil snow bases. If you're saying that the... Uh there is rare that rare in america relative to europe i'm surprised the bylists already haven't made arbitrage uh like a direct value gain because i it sounds like the european copies at five or six bucks i can and, you know the english ones seem like they'd be already by listing for here's that why they haven't drained out of europe so on the onesie twosie stuff is because those deals are happening at a much bigger level like one of the reasons that stuff sits around a magic card market is that say it is whatever channel fireball or star city games or some other big vendor that's doing a deal in europe they're doing it directly with a contact in europe that opens a lot of product they're not doing it they're not going on to card uh, magic card market and buying a thousand copies one at a time that's just way too much paperwork and shit to manage so um that you're seeing players open these easily enough in their boxes that they just go ahead and list them because they have no specific purpose for them. Um, but I think that I don't think it's only a casual EDH thing. I don't think it's only a scred deck wins thing. I think that you're going to see snow basics infiltrate modern in a whole bunch of different lists. Oh yeah. I mean, they already have, like you didn't have to, even before modern horizons showed up, people would occasionally have snow basics. Now they weren't playing eight of them in a deck but you saw them they were there people use them um so i agree they're going to keep showing up and, and if sure. we go and if we go and, to call time or some other snow themed like if we get a snow themed standard set in the next 18 months as a follow-up to this modern horizon stuff oh boy <laughs> like that then all bets are yeah. off well so that's the question is the the issue that i could see catching here and I don't, I don't think I'm not that worried, but the one of the possible barriers I would imagine is um, if we do go back to a if we go to a snow and standard and they print a bunch more snowlands. Um, now, is that going to have the? Uh, are they going to be full art? Is the question? Probably yeah, not. I'm thinking not. They would probably do normal art lands, normal art snow lands, and leave the full art snows in Modern Horizons. But you can never know for sure, I guess. Yeah, so like as an example, like the Wilderness Reclamation deck, the all like 29 spells plus Wilderness Reclamation in Modern is currently running, seeing what Snow Matters cards they run. They have three Ice Fang, Quaddle in the sideboard and one in the main. And that is it. And just on that basis, they're running a snow-covered forest, four snow-covered islands, and a snow-covered swamp. Yeah. And well, because there's like no cost to running the snowlands, essentially. Right. So if you have any reason to, suddenly you're doing it. Um, and then there was like one, two, three. There's like nine different lists that have five owed with snowlands. Sorry, just with snow-covered forest. I haven't even gone through the other versions yet. So I, I think they're being underestimated. Um, I like them anything between 10 and 15. Um, probably ignore planes, I guess, if you have to make a choice. 
Um, given the cards we got, the Saltai colors seem most exciting to me. Um, I didn't see anybody, like, I haven't seen any new and improved Scred Red lists popping up anywhere. So I'm assuming that Saltai colors are where it's at. Uh, blue. Because that gives well, you Dead of Winter. And I, out that gives you Dead of Winter and Ice Fang Quaddle at minimum. I mean, those two are definitely the, the appeal. Yeah. So if you mm. can get them from Europe, great. If you can't, join MGG Price, and you will be able to. <laughs> there you go. There's the solution. All right, so. Let's jump over to segment three, okay. our metagame week in review. This week we have two modern challenges. I think we'll probably focus on the one a little bit more. Uh, just came in today, uh, June 18th. This is uh, right off of the bat. This is a wild looking modern format. The, the first so, deck on this list. Okay, so let's, on this list. hold on, hold on. Before we get into all this, and I, I'm just as excited as you are, but we got to qualify this a little bit because the Pro Trader Discord will call us to task. First of all, the 5-0 deck, daily deck list dumps from Modern Leagues are heavily curated by Wizards, and they do so to, to generate the appearance of diversity and put interesting decks out there for people to try, rather than providing any kind of statistics about what is um, what decks uh, make up a certain percentage of the meta or how well they're doing. So I think it's safe to assume that Hogak is probably kicking ass in rampant fashion, and we will probably see that reflected on, you know, MTG Goldfish results shortly. Um, however, <laughs> when you see some of this stuff make it into the 5.0 list repetitively... Actually, there's one other point, too. They've also recently combined the um, casual and competitive cues for modern play on Magic Online. Uh, so that certainly factors in. It's not actually 100% clear to me, having played in those queues, that one is actually any different than the other. I always felt that they were kind of random. I've seen other people commenting on Twitter to the same effect. Others had different experiences. But certainly worth keeping in mind that, you know, everyone is under the same roof at this point. So, And it's certainly much more impressive when you hear somebody talking on Twitter about how in multiple successive leagues, they've gone like 14 and 1 or something. That starts that that's worth paying attention to to a greater degree than a single deck that shows up five O's, gets us all excited, and then never shows up again. However, well, all of that being said, the, some of this stuff keeps showing up over and over again. The 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 familiar magic player, you know, someone who's been around for long enough like you or I or plenty of our listeners, should know by now that seeing a list five O modern league means about as little as it possibly could. Um, you know, no one's going to look, I, I, let me rephrase that. People will look when I look at that first list. I don't think that bring the light is a tier one competitive modern deck. Now it's just fun to see what has been successful. Um, and so any good magic finance here knows that you need to see repeated results in order to trust any of this. Uh, that said, that's this first list is wild, right? So you it's, and it is, I was reading it while you're talking about it. It's a bring the light deck. So it's got the, the highlights here. Really, what makes this funny is what jumps out at you when you look at the list. It's three Teferis. You're like, yeah, okay, I know Teferi, like the, the Time Raveler. Three Monomorphos, okay, already an odd card to play with Teferi. So you're thinking, like, maybe this is a combo deck. And then you see four Utopia Sprawl. You're like, what? And then four Bring the Light. And you're trying to process this 
all around seeing the sea of one ofs. <laughs> like, what is going on here? It's really a kiki jiki deck uh, in disguise, though, is what this is. It's as close as you get to Splinter Twin these days. It, it's yeah, yeah. There's a couple of things worth noting here. Bring Delight is, as you said, not tier one, but when it shows up, it's often a four of. And the foils will eventually drain, or it will spike a major modern tournament, and the foils will sell out. So I don't, as a longer-term spec for somebody who's not flipping super quickly, I don't hate them. Um, it's also notable that Wall of Blossoms, recently reprinted into Modern from Modern Horizons, shows up in this list as a four of. Also worth noting that Teferi Time Raveler, one of my picks from a few weeks back, where we called it a 10, and it's already pushing 15, 16, 17. Which um, I said was, said was still viable at, by the way is showing up in a whole bunch of different lists. So everything from Infect to Bring to Light. Because of its ability to dampen play on the opponent on your turn from the opponent's side of the board. So just that that specific static ability on the card seems to be good enough in modern that it is going to show up in four, five, six different kinds of lists. That says to me that Teferi is going to be in demand for a long, long time. Agreed. Agreed. That thing is, I think it's just going to keep climbing until it gets reprinted. Total powerhouse. Um, I, I think it's like, like a Masters, twi- like a Modern Masters 2023 reprint when it's at 60 to $70. You think they're going to wait that long to pull the trigger? Definitely. There's so many things that they are way, way behind on pulling the trigger. That's but four what, years from now. No problem. I... I it's a lot of years. Be, you're going to be hard pressed to find a lot of staples in modern that have been printed more than once in the last five years. The um, you'll certainly find a small handful of cards that have been, but it's not that high of a number, and and often comically the wrong choices. Like we've had Tarmogoyf in three different master sets, probably unnecessarily, barely gets played anymore. And I think most of the Jun players that are doggedly playing that deck have had their Goyfs since Future Sight. The um, but yeah, I think Teferi Time Revelers got a long legs because there's no way they want to put it back in a standard there'll be so many things backed up that will need to come before it now one of the major clues in terms of how reprint policy may be evolving we'll be watching you know how much stuff we get in the rest of this core 20 set and how much we're going to get in the commander 2019 decks um because the word on the street is that the Commander 2019 decks are going to be heavily juiced, meaning that they are probably a good buy on pre-order with any kind of a coupon. Um, because I would guess that on a 12 to 18 month horizon, they'll be buy-listable for profit. Um, and But who knows to what extent that will be true. Once we see how many Commander staples they throw into it, and if this is the first time they decide to throw foils into it, then we'll know more about what we need to be worried about. Yeah, the day that they start putting foils in Commander, I'm going to be real bummed. I mean, the, the reality will be that you'll still only be able to get blown out a very like single-digit percentage of your portfolio per printing, because it's just not that many slots. You should. They, but they, they will still target the one card that I have, a bunch <laughs> of foils. And it's not even like good and modern. They'll, or Commander will be like, oh, we're going to put this in foil anyways. Yeah. See that guy right there? Screw him specifically. And so then for stuff like Teferi, that's more of a modern card, um, but also we'll see some, you know, commander play. Uh, it's more about things like, uh, will we get my suspected master style set before Christmas? Or will they just run out the clock on 
a year of Modern Horizons. I find it hard to believe that they're going to run out the clock on Modern Horizons, and if we don't see something at Christmas, I would expect to see something in probably first quarter 2020. Um, so how often that happens, you know, if we're getting two of those kind of sets per year kind of indefinitely, then it certainly accelerates the clock for reprints. But, you know, I'm, I'm starting to wonder whether like Core 20 will have something like the Black Leave Cliffs cycle of lands. I mean, at some point they got to print those. I was guessing fetches. Like Hans because- fetches? Uh, yeah, one of them. We Either one. Mostly oh, there's no be- way it's called Intarn in a core set. Mostly because they know they just printed the modern set without them, and they know it's been a while since they've printed them, so there's going to be pressure on the fetch lands, um, and they know that that's also one of the things that gets their customer base riled up about. Like, you can hold off on reprinting Luliana the Veil or Tarmogoyf or Teferi for a lot longer because you can just say, well, hey, I know those are expensive, but go play a different deck. Whereas with the fetch lands, you pretty much everyone needs them for everything. So when those get really expensive, the masses get frustrated. So, and probably not, I'm assuming not in a good PR way. Um, so allowing certain deck archetype staples to be expensive, but keeping mana bases a little more controlled is in their best interest. Now, does that mean fetches are in? No. It just means that I think they're going to be more likely to print them than they would be other stuff. But the the fast lands, the Scars fast lands are still valid targets. Yeah. I mean, if there's a master set in the next nine months, I think that Zendikar fetches are likely to show up there. Yeah, if we don't see them here, it's possible we've got another surprise master set this winter, um, this fall, and they're there. Okay, so we only got through one deck list so far. There was also a pretty standard-looking Grixis Death Shadow. Then there's this pretty, another Utopia Sprawl deck. But this time, it doesn't have the elf to untap the Sprawl. It's as foretold, four Greater Gargadon, four Simeon Spirit Guide, Ancestral Vision, four... Four crashing footfalls. Not that one. Well, I mean, I'm going to stop on crashing footfalls since everybody say, said this was unplayable and it's already five wing. <laughs> no, no, who, who said it was unplayable? Lots of people have said it's unplayable. That's why it's a dollar. Are you targeting me with this? I, 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 don't, I don't know that I feel super in tune with like how much, like on the scale of one to 10 where you thought footfalls were, but I would guess that you thought it was like a four. I, I definitely didn't think it was unplayable. I said that it was, uh, would have like kind of like niche use and that you'd see it occasionally. I just didn't think it was like a format defining card. And I specifically said you could see it with Bloodbraid Elf. The thing that interests me here is we've already seen it. This is a teamer list. Um, the rest of the deck is four Greater Gargadon, four Simeon Spirit Guide, four Ancestral Vision, four Crashing Footfalls, two Faithless Looting, two Finale of Promise, which is coming up over and over again, and it's going to be a gainer. Four Restore Balance. There I'm it sure is. You're, sure you're happy with that one. <laughs> four Serum Visions, three Electrodominance, and three Lightning Bolt. Um, this is the second different deck that I've seen Crashing Footfalls in. The other one was a Jun build. Uh, I'm convinced this card is a future... Three to five dollar buy list card inside eighteen months and should have been picked up at a dollar. Well, I will tell you this: uh, you know, browsing through this large series of five O decks, uh, which, like you said, is cultivated, so is more uh, curiosity. Var- yeah, more varied than probably the format actually is. Uh, there's a lot of Modern Horizon stuff in here. Um, you know, we saw a 
Dreadhorde Arcanist deck in there. We see uh, Season Pyromancer floating around in there. Um, I saw a couple cards that like you wouldn't really be inclined to expect. Oh yeah, I mean we're we're just tip of the iceberg so far here. The the next one on the list was a Aldrazi list that was running two Winds of Abandon. Don't think people saw that outside EDH necessarily. Um, that's the path to exile that gives them lands uh, for the creatures that you kill, and can, kills all everybody. It paths everybody else's creatures, right? If you overload it. Uh, yeah, exile all creatures you don't control, and then they yeah. So it's it's a sorcery speed path for two mana so it's worse there and you can't path your own guy but the upside is that you get to target every single creature on the board for six mana thing is i have the old version of this deck built with four path in it pretty surprised to see them ditching the paths for two winds of abandon and three dismember hmm. it's but, it's a curious card I, I mean they're playing two of it which sounds about right uh you know any deck that's kind of a bigger mana deck will have the ability to try and uh, just use it as a one-sided wrath, essentially. Because, you you know, if you're at six mana and you're casting this, you don't care that you're giving your opponent five, three or four basics. Like, that's not going to be in your way. So in the blue-white deck that 5 owned in this uh, league, you have two Jace the Mind Sculptor, one Narset, two Teferi Hero of Dominaria, two Teferi Time Raveler. Nice split amongst all the overpowered Planeswalkers. And then the usual mixture of Snapcasters and blue and white control cards. Uh, Did you see the Demir deck at the top? Demir. So it is, um, it's a Death Shadows deck, but it's only blue-black. And it's got... Oh, I, thought this, I thought this was Grixis. I didn't even look at it that closely. Yeah, and it's got like no... Well, so, so it has two Teamer Battle Rage. Okay, so it, yeah, That's, it's pretty close to the Grixis one. That's it. What's interesting about this deck that I mean that I'm catching here is that there's very little card advantage. You have two Jacerin's Prodigies and four Snapcasters, and that's it. Those are the only cards in the deck that essentially give you card advantage. Yeah, Mish's Bobble shrinks the deck, but they've pushed the Coligan's commands to the sideboard. They yeah. used to be in the main. I just, I mean, it's a fairly similar to the. Uh, you know, the whatchamacallits, the other Gurmag Angler decks, or uh, Death Shadow decks, but it's just so much more, I guess, streamlined than I would have expected. It, it looks like it's it's built to respond to Hogak, right? Like, this is about trying to get rid of specific things at specific times. Yeah, just very much on the... I guess it's very all-in on the Death Shadow plan. Six discard spells to keep your best card out of your opponent's hand, the best card out of your opponent's hand, and then everything else is there to just either kill what you're doing or kill you with that shadow. There's no there's no counterplay here. So we see there's a Jund list in here. They went 5-0, two Renin 6 in that list. Mm-hmm, I caught uh, that. An Unearth, two Season Pyromancer, as you mentioned earlier. Way um, down the page, you've got a, a, uh, another Kiki-Jiki-style deck, this one with three Elodmarie's Call. Um, two of the Giver Runes, the new Mom, uh, four Ice Fang Quaddle. I could see, I could see, uh, Teamer being a big pull, f- uh, for the Ice Fang Quaddle and Kiki Jiki strategy, kind of keeping those cards together. So, 
remember earlier in segment two when I called Sunbaked Canyon over others, uh, that was a four of in that white Eldrazi list. Yeah. The blue-red uh, Terramander, Delver, Snapcaster, Pyromancer build that's been mentioned a couple times, three Fiery Islet, and then we've got the uh, big red build that's basically rotated built around ensnaring bridge chalice of the void and blood moon as disruptive elements and then with the car and the great creator package we've seen this 5 a couple times lately mm-hmm. um, and ad nauseum made it in that's uh surprising did you see that tweet going around the other day they got, it's like a it's a video and the caption is uh after playing one round of modern with ad nauseum after modern horizons and he just picks up his deck box and walks into the other room and throws it in the trash and flips it off <laughs> Um, there's a black red Jundi list, but configuration is definitely unique. This is four Dark Confidant, which is a card you don't see very often in Jund anymore. Four Dreadhorde Arcanist. This card is sneaking up on people. In Modern and in Legacy, this is a card people should own. Goblin Rabble Master, Grim Lavamancer, Kalidas Trader of Get, Two Season Pyromancer. One young Pyromancer, three Faithless Looting, four Inquisition, one Reckless Charge, three Thought Seize, two Unearth, one Burst Lightning, two Fatal Push, two Coligan's Command, four Lightning Bolt, one Liliana's Triumph, one Terminate, two Blood Moon. This sounds. This seems like a very smart deck. People always complain when there's all these one ofs, but this looks like a deck that is custom tailored to have solutions to a bunch of different problems. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That one is definitely solid. And this is interesting because other Arcanist lists have been mostly about. Um, pumping the Arcanist, like it showed up in the Prowess list that we were talking about earlier. But this is, has nothing to do with that. The only card that's even remotely relevant from that perspective is Reckless Charge. Um, the rest of this is just about getting off additional discard, unearths, faithless lootings, burst lightnings, lightning bolts, etc. It's just a value play. Mm-hmm. Um... Uh, Dreadheart Arcanist decks are kind of interesting. I noticed that, that, yeah, that one doesn't seem to do anything exciting with it. It's just like essentially, like you said, it's 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 a red Snapcaster Mage sort of. Um, the timing's a little more awkward, but well, you get to keep I, doing it. I think in this list it plays out as the fifth through eighth Dark Confidant. This list yeah. is built with a bunch of one casting cost instants and sorceries for Confidant and Arcanist to try to abuse for massive card advantage. Sure. Because there's almost I can see that. there's very few three casting costs or higher. There's only a Rabble Master, a Kalidas, two Season Pyromancer, and two Blood Moon, and two Coligan's Command. So that's what seven, maybe eight, three casting cost spells. Everything else is below that. Yeah, it's it's sort of like a, a halfway between Dark Confidant and Stampcaster Mage, right? Like it keeps casting spells out of your graveyard, which is what Stampcaster Mage does. But at the same time, it's not giving you the timing. Like Stampcaster lets you choose your spot, where but whereas Dark Confidant is just like raw card advantage, and that's what that is. Um, so an interesting little mix there. But I, I, the, the build's clever. There's there's another Delver list here that's running four Arch Archmage's Charm, and no Force of Negation main, and no Force of Negation side. So you'll, okay. recall, you'll recall Daniel's comment where, and other people, I mean, it's not just Daniel, but talking about how Force Negation is so good that Archmage's Charm is going to have trouble finding a position, and Cryptic Command is so good that you're going to pay your four cryptics before you even touch Archmage's Charm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, not in this deck. This deck is a little lower slung and can, can, can handle all that triple blue, no problem, because most of its land base just makes blue. So they're running four Archmage's Charm and two Cryptic Command. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's someone with a plan. I mean, I'm not willing to, to give Dan too much of a hard time over this. I mean, we have so, so okay. <clears throat> Further down the page, there is a Spirits deck running for Talowisp. I don't think that anyone here would think that Talowisp is going to be a major part of the command, you know, the the modern scene. So a guy who showed <laughs> up in 5-0'd with a bunch of that card, I don't think means the card is good. Because, I mean, this list has a lot of Modern Horizons cards, and I don't think they're all going to be here in six months. Okay. So here, the, the things that, the, the clues to pay attention to, I think, in these situations is the card that keeps showing up in multiple lists, as we were talking about Teferi Time Raveler doing. Another one like that is Goblin Engineer. It shows up here in a 5-0 list that, yeah, it's still got Psymaster Thopterus, and it still has Thopter Foundry and Sword of the Meek, but this time there's no Urza anywhere to be found. This is just three... This is more like a mixture of Affinity and some kind of hybrid of various things that the Urza list was doing. So it's got three Arcbound Ravager, four Goblin Engineer, a Hanger Backwalker, four Psy Master Thopterus, and four Walking Ballista. Still has the Gear Repair Aether Grid as a potential win condition. and But it has Chalice of the Voids, Main, um, things like Icar Wellspring, Chromatic Stars, Mox Opal, Nile Spellbomb, Pyrite Spellbomb, can't remember seeing a list like this anytime recently yeah this is uh this has got all sorts of stuff going on it's kind of, i'm kind of having trouble parsing this <laughs> yeah. there's a couple of goblin engineer decks too right there there's another one with uh urza four engineers two urzas uh some collector brutalities four words and it looks like it's a basically a um a lanternless control deck it's got you know the two main deck and snaring bridges and a bunch of the tools for looking at the top of people's deck. But to call this lanternless control is probably not probably bending the definition of that term way too far because it's playing the two Urza's main. It's got a sword of the meat combo in there. Um, and you know, it has the two bridges, but like the deck isn't built around it. So, uh, and so it's the line on those are getting, is getting blurry. There's another gristle bore deck. That one's been showing yep. up kind of week after week. Uh, there's a dredge deck. Another... You don't want to know more about the Talowisp deck? I'm getting there. The I'm looking at this uh, black-white control list. Four Liliana the Veil, Phyrexian Arena, four Dark, Dark Confidant, two Collective Brutality, four Inquisition, four Lingering Souls, three Thought Seize, four Fatal Push, four Kaya's Guile, four Kaya's Guile, three Path to Exile, two Utter End. I'm like trying to parse this in my head as you read it. It's just black white control, brother. That's it's a weird. A, it's kind of an odd deck. It's not a tokens deck. There's a lot of odd decks. People, people that thought Modern Horizons was not going to shake things up or <laughs> smoking something. This, there's all sorts of innovation going on, and it was already a format that was kicking out a new archetype every two to three weeks. Who could have thought that? Who could have thought that this wasn't going to do anything? Here's I would say if I. I actually think it hasn't done as much as it was going as I it hasn't done as much as I think some of us thought it would. 
just I mean, let's see what well, happens. Remember, this is a curated list. This is a curated yeah, yeah. list. Sure, sure, sure. Let's and let's see what happens at big tournaments, right? Currently, Hogak is just ridiculous. Tron is still amazing. Arclight is still amazing. They're still gonna be the decks to beat at the next major top eight. But there's so many interesting things going on here that can be further refined. When something can five out early, and then you get a chance to keep working on it, you, you there might be something there. Well, so, yeah, I w- I, that's a, that's a mixed bag because I, I yes, it's like wow, you five would and you didn't really even like tune it yet. But at the same time, you five would and nobody, not a single one of your opponents even knew what you were doing. Like, <laughs> wait till people understand what your deck is and like if it's you know if if it can stand up to people trying to beat it, then you've got something on your hands. Here's another wilderness reclamation Sultai spells deck. This time they snuck in a Ice Fang Kowaddle which therefore mm-hmm. made them play a bunch of snow-covered basics. This is And this is what we were talking about earlier, where anybody who can find a reason to play even one of these snowlands will all of a sudden be playing snow-covered basics, and in which case they're probably playing the full arts, and in which case the foils are going to accelerate. There was three more Ice Fang Coatl on the sideboard. I bought some more of that card um, in between sessions two, one and two and three and four, because <laughs> the card is undervalued at $3. I feel very certain. Um, then we've got a, there's a goblins list here that runs four Bowmat courier. This is basically eight whack, not mm-hmm. any kind of, uh, reaction to frequently or recently printed goblins. There is a, I don't even know what you call this. This is a Naya list with blood bait, blood, <laughs> braid elf, collector, bread, of, bread baking elf. Yeah. Grill spellbreaker. Four Hex Drinker, four Noble Hierarch, three Ranger Captain of Eos. This is heavy on the horizons. Four Tarmogoyf, four <laughs> Wooly Thokdar. I've had that Oof. in a casual deck for ages. <laughs> I built a multicolored beatdown deck that only spells it ran, I think, were Path and light, maybe like Lightning Helix and Band Charm or something, and a whole bunch of multicolored creatures that were better than their casting costs would normally allow. You would think Wooly Thoktar would have been long since banished from any play in modern, but apparently not. Well, that yeah, the deck you just described was the standard Naya deck during uh, the Alara block. It was just like well-costed creatures, essentially. Big creatures that co- that you know should have cost more. What was the 3-3 that turned into three tokens when it died? That Sprouting was Thrynax? Yeah. I think. Yeah, that little, card was busted. I'm actually a little surprised that Jun doesn't squeeze one of those in. <laughs> that seems... If, if the format turned it more grindy, that card would be certainly be interesting. I would imagine it's because of the presence of, like, Path. Like, there's just too many Exile effects. Yeah, but we get, between Path, Bolt, and Push, only one of the above. Well, now that now that people are on Push, yeah. Really, it's just Jund is much less popular than it used to be, right? Well, Fair Decks in general seem to be underpowered. But here yeah. we have Hex Drinker showing up as four of in another list, and this is different than the last list I saw. Um, they're also running two Sunbaked Canyon in this, and that's the only one of the Canopy Lands. I had to go uh, look up Hex Drinker again. Yeah, that's the Leveling Up Snake. Um, here's a Mardu list, and I was thinking, just thinking this yesterday, that Smiting Helix was probably good enough in Mardu. Uh, and here it is. Four Seasoned Pyromancer, two Yogmoth, Thran Physician, four Young Pyromancer, three Collective Brutality, four Faithless Looting, three Inquisition, four Lingering Souls, four Smiting Helix. 
So the idea here, here is you faithless looting extra, um, uh, what's the white red version? Uh, lightning helix. Helix, yeah. So you basically are putting your lightning helixes into the yard and then flashing them back. It's a little weird though that you don't play any lightning helix. Like you play smiting helix before lightning helix. I guess the idea is that you can discard. This is essentially a free discard. Yeah. Because you don't actually, I can't imagine this ever actually plays the front half of the card. You right. just are always discarding it and then getting a free lightning helix for your trouble. When you're flashing it back, it's still a sorcery. So it's, I'm still questioning how, whether that plays out the way you really want it to. But yeah, now, now that I say that out loud, it's like you're playing this deck only to discard the card. That doesn't well, seem like the best. I mean, they, they have three collective brutality and four faithless looting. So they do have options for just like seven different options to discard the cards but oh wait no 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 i'm totally wrong they're running four season pyromancer so they have 11 ways of discarding the card so it gets better in that that situation um but again season pyromancer totally different list what we're seeing here is cards with raw power level that people are testing out and doing well with in a variety of different situations which leads me to believe that at some point they will find the right home for these cards Mm -hmm. um here's the uh, the more prowess-focused Delver, Dreadhorde, Arcanist list, Soulscar Mage, etc., Mutagenic Growths and Wizard's Lightings and Atarka's Commands and stuff. That probably plays out a lot like the red deck did in that season of Standard when Atarka's Command was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, my takeaway here is that there is a lot going on. Uh, it's we don't we don't know what's good yet that is to be determined right um some of this stuff is going to work but it's just all up in the air and especially given that this is you know they're picking and choosing what's showing up on this list uh in fact hogak there's only one hogak deck here do you really think only one hogak deck five of this event <laughs> no no <laughs> well it's not an event this is a league right so and it was a large large league the and so let's switch over to the actual modern challenge from the weekend because this is a much more telling picture right in this set of decks which are ranked by their position in the final standings of that (laughs) tournament hogak went one two three so that's a little rough fourth place was mono red uh, arc light using Gut shots and uh, no lava darts in that build, but 18 snow covered mountains. Uh, they are running no snow cards, but all of their mountains were snow covered. That's you're throwing people off. People have done that in modern for a while. They'll, they'll run snow basics instead of normal we're, ones. We're definitely seeing more of it all of a sudden, though. Like in the in the fifth place blue white list, seven snow covered islands, two snow covered plains. I don't think that was standard up until just now. Well, it's better now because now people don't know what you might be doing. Before you ran the snow lands and like you people mostly figured it didn't matter because what the hell would you be playing? But now it's like, oh, maybe he is playing some of the new snow lands. My point is, if all the modern players have to switch over to snow lands, these snow basics are going to do just fine. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, really, it's it is at the moment. There's not a reason not to play Snow Basics because there's no hate for them, so it just is more of a smokescreen. Is it worth it? I don't know. I'm like, I should say, is it worth it? Uh, will they do it? Yes. Y- yeah. Yeah. They probably will because it, it's potentially upside and there's no downside. Yeah, pretty much. So sixth place was the Blister Coil Weird version of Arclight Phoenix, um, Faithless Looting's Finale Promise, Lava Spike, Light at the Stage, and they ran 15 Mountain, 3, three Sun-Baked Canyon. Seventh place was a Dredge Deck, standard configuration, not Hogak. Eighth place was Hogak running a Noose Constrictor. Uh, I think people... It has reach, so I guess that's one of the reasons they like that one, because it can block Arclight Phoenixes. <laughs> um, and then ninth was the expected upgrade to Infact, and they were, uh, yeah, they ran three Waterlog Grove, which was more or less as expected. And of course, they're now running the full package of four scale-ups, your card from last week. How's that doing? I haven't looked. Probably gone down now that there's a ton more in the market. Tenth place, Karn the Great Great Creator plus Eldrazi. So Eldrazi Tron with Karn. Eleventh. <laughs> if you're expecting to get for Hogak players to try to deck you out, what do you do? You play Battle of Wits in the Modern Challenge and finish eleventh. Mm-hmm. There was 269 cards in this deck, and no way I'm reading them. If you're playing uh, online, man, just lean into it. You can, yeah, you don't have to shuffle it, so that helps. Yeah. Um, anyway, you can go look that one up, folks. That was an amusement for sure. Uh, 12th place was another Eldrazi Tron with Karn. 13th was another Hogak. 14th was humans in the old configuration, still running for Horizon Canopy, not the Jeskai configuration. 15th was an Urza list with three Goblin Engineer, three Psy Master Thopterist, and four Urza Lord High Artificer. I think this deck has staying power and will get refined over time. Um, gives me great confidence in my Goblin Engineers. Four Urzas is, uh, is rough. That is a rough bar of entry right there. Urza is going to be an eighty dollar card, eighty to one hundred dollar card before it gets a reprint. Isn't it already? It was pre-ordering for eighty, wasn't it? It's Forty bucks now, I think. Sixteenth place was a soldiers list that included two Gideon Black Blade, four Champion of the Parish, two Field Marshal, two Kithian, two Militia Bugler, three Soldier of the Pantheon, three Thalia Guardian, Thalia Heretic Athar, four Thalia's Lieutenant, and four Tithe Taker. That's the fun police. That's the name of that deck. So Urza's are about thirty-five to forty. Uh, foils are one hundred and eighty bucks right now, and the market's at one eighty. Uh, no non-English copies listed on TCG right now. Nope. So if you pull any foil Urza's in your Russian box, boy. Oh, even just Russian Urza's is going to be just fine. They're going to have a ten, fifteen, twenty dollar premium, easy. Cannot wait for those Russian boxes to show up. Got our tracking numbers today. Very exciting. All right. So the bottom line is Hogak is king. Modern is exciting. <laughs> and we'll see where it settles over the next few major tournaments. 
Mm-hmm. It's it's uh, it, this is looking like a lot of fun. You're you're not going to be upset to sit down and play modern at your store these days. You can put anything together and have a shot at it. No one has any idea what's going on. Um, and the nice thing is that with all of these cards, this huge infusion of cards, is that I don't think the format's going to get really figured out at all before the next dump with Magic Twenty, and then the next dump with the Fall set, and like. It's such a huge infusion that because we're continuing to lump more sets on afterwards that it's really going to take a long time before this format starts to settle. And that's assuming they don't shove more crap in there in the meantime. All right, so let's move on to our topic of the week. We'll probably cover a few of the most recent spoilers at the end here. But first, we want to talk about this new project that came onto our radar, um, a little something called Mythic Markets. Mythic Markets is basically the business concept that we floated back in episode 151. If you go back to our fourth segment from 151, we were talking about partial ownership schemes for things like uh, Alpha Black Lotus. Would people be interested in owning a piece of these things and if they knew that they would probably never be able to afford the real deal? And how might that work? Now, I went back and listened to that whole segment this morning. Oh, yeah. And more or less my thrust at the time was that such a thing could be pulled off, that it had a number of legal challenges that would get you tangled up with the SEC. And so one of the smartest ways to handle it might be to set up uh, for a major vendor to try it, where they basically let people buy list into a specific card. Instead of buy listing into credit, you would buy list in, they would take some cut like basically reduce your buy list by a certain amount and redirect the remainder um, to towards something like an Alpha Black Lotus. And then they would just track the market price of that card over time and you could cash out the value of that back into store credit or something at some future date. Mm-hmm. You were pretty jazzed about it, if I recall. Like, I seem to remember you being very curious about this and thinking it was uh, not necessarily thinking it was a great idea, but you were very excited about the prospect. It wasn't that I was excited about the prospect. The thing that drives my crank more more, most of the time is... Gross. (laughs) That didn't have any sexual connotation. That came from your mind. What what else would... Okay, whatever. Go ahead. (laughs) I don't think you turn dicks around like a crank. There is and, a, there is definitely an expression for crank your hog, which is as vulgar as you think it is. Okay. Listen, man, I know all about dirty, filthy. <laughs> Apparently. All right. So getting back to the point, um, what usually gets me interested in a project is that it has some kind of new or innovative business model that is a problem that needs to be solved. I like to I'm a top-down thinker, problem-solver kind of uh, executive. I like to I like the process of figuring it out much more than I like the execution. So while I like to talk and think about this concept, I wouldn't be super excited to run it as a grindy day-to-day business. However, there is now uh, an actual manifestation of this concept called Mythic Markets. It is a project that it has filed some initial paperwork with the SEC to form a legitimate security and they've posted some details on their site to invite people to register and it came on everybody's radar yesterday because uh, channel fireball went ahead and endorsed it essentially by posting a 
uh, article by the owner or founder of Mythic uh, Markets right on their own website. Uh, in an article, I, I guess you call it an advertorial, called Now You Can Literally Invest in Magic Cards, which right, <laughs> right off the bat annoyed me because... I, I had the exact now, same read on that. <laughs> now you can literally, as though everything we've been doing for 10 years is figuratively, <laughs> like mm-hmm. what? You can already invest in Magic Cards. And <laughs> when we get to the end of this conversation, the fact that you can already do that is really what most of our um, analysis is going to come down to. So right up top in this article, they list John Sasso, CEO, CEO of Channel Fireball, is an advisor of Mythic Markets. So John probably has a stake in this company um, and thinks the concept's interesting enough that he was willing to put it out there, knowing how the broader magic community feels about MTG finance in general, and especially anything that reeks of the actual Star Wars stock market. (laughs) This is an interesting lightning rod, and the comments on the Channel Fireball site have been funny to say the least well i i don't for what it's worth i don't think john gives a shit like i don't think he cares what the community thinks of mtg finance or him for doing this because he knows that he's not a household name and people will continue to buy cards from him and it's not going to matter uh essentially but so like if it it is unless it goes really 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 poorly he's not risking any meaningful publicity well and here's the thing I worry that he may be misstepping because having read into the details of Mythic Market, there's a lot here that should cause give people pause and um, there's cause for concern. Okay. So we're going to do this in two segments. I'm going to give you my initial take on it tonight. We'll talk it through. And then at some future date, probably in mid-July when I'm back from Europe, we're going to invite um, the uh, executive that's at the head of this thing, Joe Mahavathanaja. Ooh, I'm really butchering his name. There is no way. <laughs> I, I've i got, it's M-A-H-A-V-U-T-H-I-V-A-N-I-J. Mahavuth, yeah. Mahavuth not, Van, Vanage. Sure. Vanage. I, I uh, want to apo- apologize Joe, Joe, for both yeah, of us that we cannot yeah, pronounce let's this. Let's apologize right now to Joe. I'm sorry that we butchered your name, but I've never heard it spoken aloud, so I'm just totally not in touch with how i'm supposed to be pronouncing it bottom line is we'll have joe on to talk about his project and see what he's got to say about it but here's my initial take there's a bunch of things that threw up red flags for me the first one is um in theory this business is going to focus on all sorts of different types of collectibles so they're going to try to do this stuff for you know anything and everything that they can make money on which is in theory going to be things like rare comic books and sports cards and magic cards and whatever. The focus here, given that they, you know, launched this article on Channel Fireball up front is clearly on things like an Alpha Black Lotus. That's the our latest offering. So like the first thing they're putting forward as a proof of concept for this business is an Alpha Black Lotus, which they claim the current value um, of at 125,000. It lists that they have currently have 35 investors. And it says that they have 221 shares out of a possible 2,000 reserved. Here's the thing. Given where they're at with the SEC, those are not people that have registered on the site and have given them money because they're not legally in a position to take that money yet. These must be privately negotiated investors or people that are associated with the project. So you can't get any peace of mind from you know who else is in so far because they all have a vested interest in the project itself doing well 
and may have a stake in the project while at the same time potentially having a stake in the Lotus itself. The Lotus was purchased something, if you read through the fine print, somewhere around 51000 or something and was sold to the project at like one hundred and twenty or 125000 So right away you have a valuation question mark <laughs> where the thing that you're buying shares of is it worth 50000 Is it worth 80000 Is it worth 100000 Or is it worth the 120000 plus that they're claiming? And this is really brutal to nail down because Data these so don't really... Yeah, like, I, and, you know, they can tell me that it's worth 120000 It's like, yeah, is it? I, I don't actually know if that's true. Uh, it's hard to contest it, I guess. And so if you don't... If, if their argument is the last one sold for that much, then you got to dig into whether it's a comparable Lotus, whether it's repeatable, whether it will be, um, it represents an upward trend that will continue along similar lines, or whether, as we have talked about in the past, it is very likely to hit a ceiling. Um, because I do think that there, within certain periods of time in the short to midterm, I think that there are hard ceilings on how much the Lotus can appreciate. And the more expensive it becomes, the more potential suitors drop out of the market. So when they're, you know, they, earlier today I had words with them because just to ask them to take what looked like an endorsement from me off off the website, because it had a picture of me from my Twitter profile and it had a quote that I published as a tweet. Uh, a few weeks back where I was talking about um, the percentage returns I was seeing on Magic the Gathering. Now, the problem with that is, A, they didn't clear it with me. B, I don't endorse this product. Um, I don't know enough about it to know whether I would or not way or the other, but I certainly don't yet. Um, And three, the style of MTG Finance that we perpetrate on a regular basis where we are looking for undervalued cards, purchasing them before the market realizes their true value, and then selling into um, the subsequent spike that comes from a scarcity of supply that meets uh, an ascendant uh, valuation of the card, um, represents the literal MTG finance that has been going on for many, many years, (laughs) and long before this concept rolled onto the scene. I'm realizing, by the way, that I need to post way more soundbite marketable quips on my Facebook (laughs) or my my social media because I don't want to be my face on something that I don't want to sponsor either, but I would like to ask people to take it down. (laughs) Fair. So Feeling very left out right now. And the problem I have there is I very much believe that Magic players can make the game cheaper for themselves by doing what we encourage people to do. Um, and you can even make, you know, turn it into a part-time job and make some money on the side if you want to. I very much do not believe that this concept, even though we talked about it on episode 151, is a slam dunk until you've read through the fine print and cleared all the flags. Um, there are many, many, many ways that this particular project can go wrong if you read into the fine print, not the least of which is that um, the Okay, so you can't sell it yet. <laughs> well, yeah. So you put you can you're buying shares of this lotus. Okay. Well, how do you get out? In our episode, what I proposed was that there is a hold a minimum hold time, say two to three years or something. And at that time, everybody votes, and you're basically for every dollar you put in, you have a vote. And then if the majority or a super majority, say two thirds or fifty one percent, depending on whatever the project decides, um, decides it's time to sell, then you liquidate and everybody gets their money. 
And in my concept, there wasn't necessarily much of a management fee at all, like maybe a couple hundred dollars or something, or a thousand dollars max on like some major, major purchase like that. Like if, the, if you buy the Inland Lotus, everybody buys in at 120,000, you hold it for three, three years, you sell it for 200,000, maybe you take a thousand off the top or something. That's not because you're trying to make money, it's just a project that you do with other people. But this business is gonna have tremendous overhead. So the cut they're gonna take is gonna be significantly more because otherwise they're not gonna be generating any profit and their investors aren't gonna be happy. And the Lotus isn't gonna take off to the extent that it's going to support that overhead so one of the things that has to happen for you to have any chance of getting your money is that they have to, A, build the marketplace, which they haven't built yet, so that you can trade yeah. your shares to other people. So that if I buy my share of the Lotus now in 2019 and I want to sell it in 2022, I can post it for sale on their marketplace. And you come in, say, you know, your house ended up beside a, I don't know, some like Taylor Swift move next door and suddenly your house is worth double. So you sell out and you've got some spare cash and you want to buy my share in 2022. I can sell it to you on the platform they built. Well, having been in e-commerce a long time, any platform that's not built yet, you have to assume it will never get built because typically that's what happens. As someone who looked at this as a much more, uh, I, 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 this is probably not the way our listeners would think of it, but I feel like I looked at this uh, as a more casual observer. Like I knew I was not going to do it and I was approaching it from the position of like, I guess not, the guy who runs a magic finance podcast and is, you know, extremely knowledgeable, but rather just somebody who might be curious about doing this type of thing. Uh, there was the fact that you couldn't sell your shares yet was a huge red flag to me. I'm like, why would I want to send you at least $62 and possibly tens, you know, hundreds or thousands if I have no way of getting them back right now? That seems like a, like why with a lot that's just awful. It just I can't that I hate that idea because I feel like I'm going to get burned on that. Like you could just close up shop and leave and I'm just stranded. There were other little like tidbits of fine print in their filing that looked pretty scary like of net income generated 50% goes to the manager. Hmm. That means like if the lotus goes up 50,000 minus fees after their fees. So let's say that Lotus, everybody buys into something at 100000 It goes up to 200000 They claim their fees are 50000 So now the, the group is only making 50000 on the 100000 and they get 50% of that. So the group only gets 25% even, even though they experienced a double up on their asset. That was pretty brutal. Yeah. So, and I'm not 100% on you know, what their final fine print is going to look like, but if it looks bad up front, it probably doesn't get better. Often often those kind of terms get worse as time goes on and they get refined to the benefit of the shareholders or under pressure from the shareholders. So, yeah, I was just going to say as the, as the stockholders sink their teeth into what they realize is a profitable model and want to squeeze it. Other little tidbits I pulled out stuff like the manager will have no duty or obligation, fiduciary or otherwise (laughs) will be entitled to consider only such interests and factors as it desires, including its own interests, meaning ultimately they can kind of, make a left turn with the project and leave everybody stranded and there won't be much recourse. The company has not adopted and it does not intend to adopt in the future either a conflicts of interest policy or a conflicts resolution policy. Hmm. Like, what? Now, I, I don't... 
So I, you read this type of stuff, and to me, a layman who has never really been involved with any sort of SEC filing projects, right? Like this is kind of outside of my scope. I obviously understand it from a magic perspective, but not as a, a you know, investment vehicle perspective where it's closer to, to stock markets. I, I don't know whether to evaluate these statements as very scary or standard boilerplate for these types of projects. Um, the, the problem with even if it's boilerplate, it's boilerplate that is never going to get revised to your benefit, which means that you just have your it's a leap of faith. It is no better and maybe no worse than investing in crypto because the same level of self-interested, fraudulent ridden activity is possible, not necessarily likely, but possible. Because so much of what's going on is outside of your control. But at least with crypto, like or Bitcoin specifically, I should say, uh, there's not like there's no one who can. It's very very difficult to meaningfully manipulate Bitcoin, right? Because it's not it's not centrally controlled. You can fuck it up by print making tether, mm. uh, but that's another there's, story. I mean, that's, well, but that's I mean, a, like, there's no, no one. Oh, well, but but nobody owns Bitcoin, right? There's not one guy who owns Bitcoin who can just turn it well, off. Whereas with the mat, whereas is Lotus, like that guy could just take the card and leave, and everyone's screwed. Not the greatest example because if you have enough miners attempt to overwrite the blockchain, yeah, but isn't the hash rate like required for that type of project like like possibly billions of dollars worth of computing hardware like i you can do it it's just extraordinarily difficult as opposed to just taking the lotus out of a safe safe box and leaving yeah yeah i mean it's a whole different discussion right and we're not we're not crypto tech experts we've only got you know tangential interest there but the let's put it this way mythic markets my first take is that people are going to be much better off if you're desperate to own a piece of a lotus, as I proposed, hang tight. Somebody else will come up with another project that is that is uh, has less flags. Or if if you've just got you know good a solid disposable income, like you can come up with ten thousand but not a hundred thousand, and you've got some like-minded compatriots, you might just be able to pull it together amongst yourselves and form a like small-scale, relatively simple contract. We were talking about this on the Pro Trader Discord today. How would we do this? And I think the answer is like, you would set a target. We're going to buy this kind of card. This is the price range within which we're, which we're going to be approved to purchase it at. This is the minimum grading and who it needs to be graded by ahead of time. And if we're buying it, I think you'd probably have to buy a graded one just so there's less uncertainty about what the value of the card is. And then... Yeah. You basically just say, here's the minimum in, like say it's $1,000, here's the maximum, 40% of the value or something. You have a 30-day subscription period, you got to come up with your money and send it to such and such an account. Here is the party who is going to be responsible for purchasing the good and is legally responsible to the rest of the group. And then you're going to have to get insurance and put it into a lockbox. And then you're going to sit on it for a couple of years and then everybody revisits on a six-month basis with a simple vote that's conducted by email or whatever. Still not the simplest thing in the universe, and you may just be better off buying a bunch of smaller scale stuff and doing well, doing the stuff we do all the time and working your way into a position where if I wanted to, I'm now in a position where I could liquidate my collection and turn it into an Alpha Lotus. Now, I don't want to do that. I don't find that interesting. Um, first of all, I think it would kill my momentum. Um, yeah. But that's probably, you're probably better off going that route. You'll, you'll have less sleepless nights overall. 
Well, and I think that that is telling is that we can talk about like, well, what is the right way to do this? Uh, honestly, it's not doing it. Like, like it sounds interesting, but the amount of money you have to have available to you where like you can do this and not have it impact better investment strategies. You're not listening to this cast. Like you've got a lot of money where you can throw 150 grand at a Lotus and still do all your other crap. I just, it's just, it just, it, but it's such another level of investment. I can't imagine it. It feels like it's just not worth it right now. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm curious what my father will say when he sees this. Somebody who has plenty of disposable income is interested in owning an Alpha Lotus, but doesn't pull the trigger because he recognizes that it's a fairly ridiculous price tag. Um, but could cough up 5 or 10K pretty easily. And tends to ignore my advice on MTG finance matters in general, doesn't really pay attention to magic outside of whatever he feels like when he feels like it. Those are the kind of people that might get caught up in this. Because sure. they, I mean, they won't read the fine print. There's there's probably always going to be buyers. Oh, you know, I don't know if there's going to be enough to get the project off the ground, but you're, you know, you're always going to strike a chord with people. Um, like your dad or whomever or someone who just inherited money from their grandmother and gets really excited about it and doesn't take the time to, to think about it a lot. And if you doubt any of these people exist, read the Facebook comments on any new spoiler on Mythic Spoiler. Uh, click on the card and scroll down and read what people are saying and you'll be like, oh, okay. <laughs> this is the level of, uh, of discourse that goes on. Um, I don't know. I just, the more we think about it, the more we talk about it and like the numbers, I'm just like, who, what is your, your financial situation where you know enough about what's going on here to make an investment like this, but you don't have so much money that this is beyond that you're way beyond this. It just seems like that as a cross section that almost doesn't exist. (laughs) So get this. While I was checking out the Mythic Markets <laughs> site. While you were reading instead of listening to me. No, yeah, no, I, I heard you. <laughs> the, under my quote, I noticed that, A, first of all, they haven't taken it off yet, <laughs> despite saying they would. Secondly, the, the quote is, they pull, are saying it's pulled from an article called Investing in Nostalgia is Possible Even If You Didn't Grow Up in the 80s from Vice. So, so I saw that. So I go. I saw so that. I go look it up, and apparently there's a Vice article that has an interview with me from, Wait, la- really? from last August. Now I vaguely remember being interviewed by a Vice person at some point on this topic, investing in magic cards, but I I vaguely recall that I followed up with this this reporter three times after the interview, and they still hadn't launched the article. So I just figured that their editor killed it. Now, (laughs) now finding that the article did get published apparently last August, and I'm quoted like six times in it. Huh? Are they so? Given that this is now out here on Vice, are you allowed to tell them to take your photo down, or do they get to point to this and go? No, you're, it's a Vice article online. We don't have to. We can leave it up if we want to. They're still using a, an image that's copywritten, so it's still got to come down. And I think it's just a – they'll take it down because it's just a good relationship management with somebody who's going to interview them shortly. 
So I mean, your name is all over this article. This is just an article about you, basically. That I didn't even know existed. So that's interesting. Um, I'm not in Vice. What the fuck? <laughs> things you learn randomly while podcasting. All right. So Mythic Markets, uh, John. We're going to. We'll see if we can get John Sasso to come in on that. Uh, because if John and Joe will show up together, that would be my ideal. Yeah. I, okay. I, I'm not holding my breath for that one, but uh, it would be fun for sure. Well, I would do well, more homework than I normally do for the show. Keep, keep in mind, we're partnered with Channel Fireball. It's not impossible. We do talk to John. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So let me let me reach out to both these gentlemen, and we'll see if we can get them on for mid-July, and we will have a more in-depth discussion where we give them a free, a fair shake to break down for us how we think they think this is going to work and how it will benefit our listeners and then we can reevaluate. Okay, that would be that'd be a fun conversation to have, at least. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people, both regular podcast listeners and anyone in the public who had stumbled upon this, might be curious to listen to. Yeah. All right. So we do have to okay. call out our weekly winner this week. Who did I find here? Some nerd. <laughs> hmm had this written down now i can't find it well uh, well you look I'm i think gonna, it was rakana so. we have definitely said that name before oh, for what it's okay, worth then it's not rakana it's and if, if if and if it was if he hasn't gotten it he can complain to us that that's not true but i am nearly positive i've heard you say him out loud okay that it's not rakana it is going to be You're giving it to me. You don't need it. You've already got credit sitting in my CSI account. I can never take more. N- never have more. Never, never have too never, much credit. You, never have enough. With our yeah. sponsor, Cool Stuff Inc. Coolstuffinc.com. Uh, Mention this podcast. It's at five percent off your next order. They have board games, miniatures, um, sorts of cool stuff. Uh, well, you look. We're gonna say that it that. is. Uh, S snap. Snap. Snap, you have won a $25 gift certificate from CoolStuffInc.com, our favorite sponsor of all time. Yeah. Uh, all right. Do you want to take three, uh, five minutes, and I do mean five minutes, to poke at these uh, M20 spoilers or leave them all for next week? Uh, yeah, I just want to – let's run through a few of those before we wrap up. Okay. So I know one that caught your eye, Starfield Mystic, the uh, seemingly Theros plant, makes enchantments cheaper. Probably not relevant um as a card uh, at the moment but definitely points to a return to theros which you and i have both been suspecting for a while could possibly be as early as this fall hall of heliod's generosity does the volras stronghold dance as we discussed earlier um of returning enchantments from your graveyard to the top of your library or to your hand to your hand to your top of library because it's the volras stronghold yeah. This guy is a 2-2 for one and a white. Enchantment spells cost one less to cast. Whenever an enchantment you control is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, put a plus one plus one counter on Starfield Mystic. This, in the art, which is fantastic, um, this dude is sitting in front of the Hall of Heliod. I mean, how many more clues do you need? Yeah, and I, I will say here that, you know, and, and, and to play both sides of this, they do put cards and core sets that are references to existing planes without necessarily meaning that we're going back to them. Like, or, or going to them for the first time. I mean, we had Vryn 
in Magic Origins. We haven't been there yet. Yeah, but but I, I do think that like we were kind of already suspecting that Theros was going to come back around soon, anyways. Um, and this is you know points a little bit more in that direction. The 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 meaning here is that any enchantment based specs you have. Uh, now would be the time to start thinking about those and looking to make purchases because I would expect there us to return with the enchantment creatures and there be to, to be a big push for the older enchantment cards when that happens. I bought a bunch more Hall of Heliod's Generosity at like 350 today and foils at 20. Um, you could probably wait till later this summer, but uh, if Theros is this fall and they announce it, you might be too late because it might take off like a rocket ship. If I think it's more likely, and the I haven't heard anything concrete, but vague whispers have suggested that there is maybe a snow plane in the works. Maybe that's the fall set, and maybe the Theros stuff is next spring. So if you buy into that game plan, then you still got a little bit of time. Um, but I would want to make sure that the thing is that Hall of Healer's generosity is already good in EDH. It doesn't need a Theros block to be good. Plenty of enchantments yes. you want to bring back from your graveyard. Um, so I'm happy to own some now. If I see them get even cheaper, if, if heaven forbid they're under $3 or something, I'm just going to buy a bunch more. I, I will be, I guarantee you that within 18 months, I will be buy listing like a hundred of that card and being happy about it. <laughs> I, I do think that it will be, um, I, I can't guarantee you that it'll be the fastest mover, yeah. but it's definitely going to move. The thing is that if it was from a standard set and then we went back to Theros, that would be one thing. But because it's from this double cost set, these these $5 and under rares, things like Goblin Engineer, Giver of Runes, which is actually getting closer to 7 now already, um, and Ice Fang Quaddle and Hall of Helios Generosity, all of these things just need the impetus to, to for people to experience FOMO and rush out to buy them. And the, in, with Ice Fang Quaddle, it will be that there is, is, in fact, a snow set at some point. With Helios Generosity, it will be the enchantment theme. And we know that, you know, even if we're completely wrong about what's happening in the next year, it won't be too long. Like, both of those things will happen. It's only a question of time. Yeah. Um, the only other card here that really caught my eye uh was oh shoot where did it go the new artifact guy golos tireless uh pilgrim i think he looks like a fun uh, commander he's a five color commander that does something kind of nifty he lets you play spells for free from your library everyone wants to do that that's fun it's exciting it's very much in the theme of edh um without being like forcing you into a tribe or doing stupid gimmicks he's also a essentially a better solemn simulacrum um, he's one mana, but he gets any land instead of just basic lands. Now you're still stuck only being able to play him in five color decks. So it's not like everybody and their brother is going to be slotting him in them, him into your deck. Uh, but any five color deck will want him most likely, but I do and, think he's going to be a commander. People are going to be eager to build around. And the thing is that I made a comment on Twitter today, something to the effect of the new commander, like printing cards for commander strategy is just Wooberg to the max, right? Like they're just, everything's Wooberg. The new Sisse is like that. The dragon commander, they gave us the new first sliver, Morophon. They all push you into five color decks. Why? Because they know that giving us more five color options just gives you more options, which means that you can build the way you want to build. And their attitude correctly is get out of the way. <laughs> like Just let the, pil the players build the stuff they want to build and go from there. 
Well, there's also the fact that there really was very few amusing or decent five color commanders. There was like three and they tended to be extremely tribal. So having some options that don't force you in the specific tribe is, is, a, is a welcome change. In any case, um, I think the, the takeaway with Golos there is that you wanna look for cards that are gonna play into his ability that let you cast stuff for free. I went and looked and I didn't see any two card combos that kind of let you essentially do that super cheap, like nothing that removes the activated costs of an artifact that I noticed, doesn't mean they're not out there. Um, but if you find something like that, it'll be uh, it'll be worth picking up because that'll definitely go right in there. One of the cards that just got spoiled as we were getting ready to record tonight: repeated reverberation, two and two red, instant <laughs> rare. Whenever you next cast an instant spell, cast a sorcery spell, or activate a loyalty ability on a planeswalker this turn, copy that spell or ability twice. <laughs> you may choose new targets for the copies. So there's a couple things that are interesting about this. They have tried to give red good fork spells for so long, <laughs> so many different times, and it's just never really worked out. And now they're just pushing it to the next level, right? There's a couple of things that make this a little different. First of all, it includes loyalty abilities, not just instants and sorceries. And given that we just got a crap ton of planeswalkers at a War of the Spark, and we're getting three pretty good looking Chandras in M20. And we got things like Nicol Bolas in the format, and cards like Ugin and Karn still exist, and Garrick, uh, uh, Apex Predator, etc. There's some pretty nasty things you can do with this card in Commander. Um, it's also interesting to me that this is an instant. I feel like normally they would have made this a sorcery just to limit your shenanigans. But what this is. Well, it's a fork. With what, well, yeah, but it, it triggers off the next thing you cast. So it could have been an instant. I mean, it could have been a sorcery. They could could have made you cast it on your turn at sorcery speed, then done things. But because it's I, but because it's an instant, you can, you know, go off on the end of your opponent's turn, do a bunch of nastiness, or you can just do things like you have in standard. You play Nicol Bolas God Pharaoh, and then you the next turn you play this, and you activate his. Uh, they discard a card, and you destroy a creature or whatever three times it's a lot you can do a lot you can no it's his minus is destroy a creature or a planeswalker right the other one is you draw a card and they discard a card but that would be a net six difference in in cards on the plus and the minus would kill any combination of their three best creatures or planeswalkers yeah i i don't uh, you we were talking about this a little bit before the cast i don't like this nearly as much as james does i think it's cute I'm not going to say otherwise. I, don't get me wrong. I'm not claiming this is a four of in modern financially relevant card. I just think that this is an interesting card that probably has a bunch of instant win combos attached to it that we haven't thought of yet. Well, I will definitely say that it is the most pushed version of these reverberate effects. They tend not to be give you quite this much juice, uh, especially for four mana, which is, you know, that's not cheap. But if you're getting triple, you know, if you're tripling something, that's pretty nuts. Uh, it's fun. People will play an EDH because of the lunacy. It will allow them to get away with it at the very least. And there's an outside chance people would play it like a one of in certain decks. You know, being able to, to triple any four mana or more planeswalkers ability is probably worth the mana cost the real issue is just if it doesn't if it if it's dead off the top of your deck that's a pretty rough position to be in Kalia zenith seeker 
It's one of the mythics in the set. This is a new version of Kalia of the Vast, which of course is one of the more popular commanders of all time. This one is Mardu, so red, white, black for a 3-3 flying vigilance. When she enters the battlefield, look at the top six cards of your library. You may reveal an angel card, a demon card, and or a dragon card from among them and put it into your hand. So 3-3 flying vigilance for three that draws three potentially. Now, yeah. as you said, it's pretty narrow. It basically slots into Kalia of the Vast, and that's about that. Yeah, but, but yeah. There, I, and there is some possibility that they give us enough of those three creature types in a full-fledged standard environment that it could still be card advantage. I mean, even if she was drawing one card and it was one of those three, that's a pretty strong. It's not like drawing angel, demon, or dragon has to be better than draw a card, right? Um, in the right deck. We need, we need a Frank Karsten dice roll, right? Like, we need to see him do the the math to see what, how many of those you need to have in your deck to make that better than drawing a random card. So, like, if if you power this up to, like, a 5 mana 5-5 five five and, like, you tack another word on there or something and then you keep that same ability, then being able to tutor for the angel or dragon is very is much more useful because when you're at that you know you're at five mana you're not trying to draw more lands typically you're probably just trying to draw the threat at three mana i feel like it's a little harder to figure out because you might want to draw your fourth land um or your fifth land or whatever uh maybe you're not excited to draw the 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 sixth drop on turn three like you're really just more interested in drawing the mana so i don't know for sure um i do think the cards clearly is is potent and every kalia player will want to put the other kalia in her deck i i was just sort of grimacing because it it seems like i'm no one's going to make this command this version of kalia rather than the other kalia no one's going to make that their commander yeah, oh, no, I just it seems I, I just pr- probably too slow in modern. It might be playable in standard if they give you a good four or five mana dragon. Uh, that's that's viable. Like in a storm breath dragon format, mm-hmm. this might just be good enough. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. If there is a, if there is a tier one five mana dragon, like we've had several times, and also some decent then, yeah. angels. Yeah, yeah, but but that that right there is plausible. You know, if this was in the format with Bane Slayer Ranger, sure. Right, you play this on turn three. You draw your Baneslayer Angel. You play use turn four to play a mana and like kill one or two threats, and then turn five you Baneslayer. Sure, solid. Mm-hmm. I, now keep in mind, I'm not claiming this is a new commander. I think it slots into Kalia, and because we're yeah. hearing that this set is going to be a shorter print run, uh, I think foils of this will probably be money down the road. Oh, they spoiled uh, Mu Yanling like while we were recording, like. Very, very recently. Three mana, ya, Mu, Mu Yanling, Skydancer, which is blue, uh, plus two until your next turn, one target creature gets 2-0 and loses flying, minus three, wait, what? Oh, so you cannot use her minus ability on the turn that you play her. Create a 4-4 four, four blue bird token, and minus eight is islands have tap to draw a card. Hmm. So she's a little tricky to get moving at the start right, when you play you her. She's a little slow. Draw a card. <laughs> nice. That's that's the seems that seems like it's gonna be tough to get her working. She's a three cast and cost planeswalker. That is the first yeah. sign of greatness. But yeah. the rest of this is <sighs> she I mean they, so she... the the minus giving something minus two was solid on what is it, Jace Friend's Prodigy when he flips? 
did that in standard to good effect? I don't remember. There was the other one. Jace Architect of Thought gave all your opponent's creatures minus one, I think, till next turn. And then you get a 4-4 four, four if she survives to the next turn. So she goes to four loyalty if she survives. If she takes less than... If she doesn't take more than one damage, you could get a 4-4 four, four out of it. Well, you know, I will say that if you if you erase the loyalty, the the ultimate ability off this card, and you just go, okay, so you're basically bouncing back and forth, sort of, between you know neutering <laughs> or partially neutering one creature and creating a four four flying token, which is hefty. Uh, that's not a bad back and forth. She will basically create an army of four four flyers over the course of a game well and you know what else while making it more difficult to get rid of her if if you play her on three and she goes to four and then on the next turn she didn't take any damage and you repeated reverberation uh. <laughs> although the thing is i think here's here's one thing that's going to trip people up it doesn't triple the loyalty boost it only triples the effect right because the loyalty yeah. boost is a cost so she would that actually doesn't work she would only go to six or whatever but and you wouldn't really get much out of that. So I stand correct, corrected by my own damn self. Yeah. All right. So I don't know. Curious card. I don't know. That's that's a really hard one to get a feel for in terms of how good it's going to be. Um, but, I mean, at three mana, that's not surprising because they're not going to be ludicrously powerful. You're going to have to. It'll kind of depend on how it fits into the meta. What was your take on Field of the Dead? Uh, okay, I'm glad you mentioned this because this is the other one I wanted to mention. Do not play with this with Scape Shift. For God's sakes, do not play with this with Scape Shift. It is, <laughs> it's not that good. Um, Field of the Dead is the one that if you have seven lands with different names, which is no mean feat, by the way. Four or five lands with different names isn't hard. Seven, you've got to do work for it. You know, it's going to keep spitting out two twos. So clearly a very long game. Um, control type card a deck that just wants to generate a ton of land or play a ton of lands uh it seems playable as like a one of in a couple strategies but you would never play four i don't even think you would play two because you're planning on playing such a long game where this matters scape shifting is just worse than any other scape shift plan even in standard it's still i can't imagine that's worth it um I mean, what's your best case scenario for scape shifting in standard? You flip all seven lands and you get seven two twos. Like that's it's not even good enough, right? Like to build your entire deck around making in, seven in two twos. In a format where you could have just been in the in, yeah. in the so, same time frame doing things with Liliana Dreadhorde General or something. Right. There's like so many other more powerful things you can do in Commander. Like yes, you'll 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 get to add two twos, but most decks have enough color requirements that that. Like the colorless here kind of hurts, and there's so many other utility lands I have um, th that you would rather play over this that would take up that colorless land slot. I don't see you playing this. I just, I, I can't see this really anywhere other than as a one of in a couple very slow control decks in standard. So I, I think it's meaningless essentially. So I can't remember if we already mentioned this today, but Leyline of Sanctity and Leyline of the Void have been confirmed in the set. Both of those will pr provide financial anchors for M20. Um, I would be mm -hmm. looking at entry points relatively quickly, probably in the first couple of weeks on foils. Um, your release weekend, I think, right? is probably your best bet. And over the next couple of weeks. Like by that point, we're pretty deep in the summer. Things have, you know, taken are in theory in a lull. <laughs> Hard to say if that's going to be true this year or not. But 
Um, you know, Layla in the Void is not likely to be any less relevant in modern anytime soon, so certainly you're going to look for your entry point there. Um, they did re give us back Planar Chaos, or sorry, Planar Cleansing. That's the one that destroys all non-land non permanents for three and three white, so they've given us another release valve on so many Planeswalkers being printed in War of the Spark, and that'll be legal for yep. a year. Yep, uh, the new, whatchamacallit, uh, wait, where did it go? I was just looking at the damn card. Legion's End, relevant. Um, probably not going to be like a four of, because there's so much good one mana removal. But if as token strategies get more popular, this will increase in, uh, in popularity as well, because it gives you an easy out. A, a very solid out for dealing with token strategies um or or and also some combo decks that like use a uh, goblin i'm gonna say goblin storm because i'm forgetting empty the warrens uh while also having game against decks that play like noble hierarch and stuff like that probably also worth mentioning chandra's regulator that's the legendary artifact uh one in a red whenever you activate a loyalty ability of a chandra planeswalker specifically you may pay one if you do copy that ability you may choose new targets for the copy one tap discard a mountain card or a red card draw a card seems to me like this is probably the start of a long cycle where we're going to get these every once in a while for planeswalkers these like really great um artifacts that complement your planeswalkers and it makes me wonder whether they are setting up for more planeswalker um uh commanders uh yeah i mean they really have not given us uh, let me refine a better way to say that they have had ample opportunity and have sown this apparent seeds for planeswalkers as commanders over and over and over again, but they aren't doing it. Now that doesn't mean they won't print commanders or planeswalkers again, who can be your commander. Cause I do think they will. But at this point, it does not seem like they are interested in moving towards that being a standard rule. Doubling loyalty abilities and like copying loyalty abilities seems to be now ensconced in red so curious to see at what point we get critical mass on those and things like plane bound accomplice get that much more interesting mm -hmm. yeah I, I uh i could possibly see some some like red one mana enchantment or two mana enchantment that like doubles the loyalty that your planeswalkers come in with or something like that right like something very specific sort of a world wake amulet for planeswalkers or like a, a planeswalker specific doubling season um that would be very curious by the way uh what do you think about because we, we, the ley line cycles back all of the green ley lines are bad so we'll probably get a new one uh what do you think about a green ley line whose text is, uh, if a land you control would enter the battlefield tap, it enters the battlefield untapped instead. Ooh. <laughs> Amulet Titan likes that. It does, but it but you they would word it so that it's not a trigger. It's a replacement effect, so that it doesn't generate uh, a ton of effects at once. Hmm. Interesting. Um, I was just chatting with my buddies about that earlier tonight because I've noticed they've been pushing the lands between Modern Horizons and this set. Like they're playing up lands in green even more so than the color usually gets. So I'm wondering if they're going to try and do a ley line that plays into that. So I know we covered a couple of cards um, when we were recording the first segment, but I can't remember if we talked about these two. There's a couple of Lands Matters cards that I think are going to be a thing like for, far enough down the road for Commander. The first is Dread Presence, three and a black for a 3-3. Three, three. 
Nightmare. Whenever a swamp enters the battlefield, whenever a, any swamp enters the battlefield under your control, choose one. You draw a card and you lose a life, or Dread Presence deals two damage to any target and you gain two life. Mm-hmm. I mean, this strikes me as the as a card similar to like Nurkana Revenant. That's going to be low key, no big deal, and then just foils will be worth like in two or three years because it's going to slot into a whole bunch of black decks. Yeah, this is. It seems okay. I wasn't blown out of the water by it, but I do see the the appeal and the technique there. I mean, anytime you can put your lands in it at a play a bunch of times, returning them and like get Rog or Windgrace, and then sacking them and doing it again, nasty. <sighs> the hard part is that it's it's swamp specifically. Sure. So so it, it's tricky to get too cute with it. Well, does it it works with Urborg, right? With Urborg, yes, yeah. Well, I mean, yes. And what doesn't work with Urborg, right? <laughs> so the other one that's similar in both in the Lands Matters decks, both Windgrace and Get Rog, etc., Cryptic Caves. Very unassuming land. Tap, add a colorless. One sack it, draw a card, but only if you control five or more lands. This does nothing until all of a sudden you're in the mid game in EDH and you're just abusing the shit out of this card. Yeah, that card is definitely relevant. No question for me there. In those, and I don't know. Because in those decks, they play all the effects that let you play multiple lands per turn. And you can sack the lands and bring them back fairly easily. So this just turns into this like ridiculous drawing two or three cards a turn kind of thing. It's, yes, I like that quite a bit. Um, I don't know exactly who wants it where. It's only a foil uncommon. So, no, I'm not going to be running out to buy a whole bunch of them. But definitely the kind of thing I would be happy to buy a couple foils of and know that I've got them in my commander collection for when I decide I want them. Yeah. You know, uh, the one other card, one more card, then we really have to stop. Uh, Scheming Symmetry. The Painless Vampiric Tutor that's mirrored. I'm pretty high on this card. Much higher than the average person in our Discord. Yeah, this strikes me as a type of card that people... It's going to get busted. Well... It's a one-mana tutor. Yeah. It's going to get busted. Yeah, because the person casting this definitely has a very specific card that they need, and your opponent is going to be like, oh, well, they're going to get the other part of their combo piece uh, that I are, I don't have an answer for in my deck, so what do I get? Yeah, it's, right? it, or, it's strictly... Or, oh, they're going... They're, yeah. It's, strictly, Sorry, it's strictly card disadvantage, because it goes to the top, not to your hand. Um, you are opening the door for them to do something even worse than whatever you're doing. But... In Commander, it's a political card. If you don't have the answer to what's happening that's going to cost you guys the game, you can negotiate with somebody else to swing the game in your favor and make it between you and the person that helps you. You know, they, They're the only one with the Wrath left in their deck. Help them go get it. And you get what you need to survive what's going to come next. This, this card will see play in Commander because if group hug cards have ever been a thing, which they have, this will get played. Oh, yeah. I mean, even if you're not trying to be very nice about it, you can, you know, okay, I'll target myself to go get the other half of my combo. And uh, you, the guy who I know doesn't have a combo in his deck and, like, won't be able to find anything relevant, sure, you can search. And more specifically, uh, I think this is probably very modern playable because 
at one mana, this is so cheap. You can put this, as long as you have any draw effect in your deck, you just do this and draw the card you tutored for. Well, and if you're playing like... So, how relevant... Like, it doesn't matter what your opponent put on the top of the deck if you don't give them a chance to play with well, it. Well, I just build Bolas, like Nicol Bolas the Ravager, right? Plays Grixis spells and a bunch of Planeswalkers. And I'm going to have a bunch of counter spells in my hand throughout the course of the game. At some point, I'm going to draw Scheming Symmetry, cast it, know I have the counter to stop whatever they just got, which takes care of one of their threats, and then I'm going to do the thing that I tutored up for. Yeah, that's the other part of it, is you just if you play in a control deck, you can just counter whatever they're doing. You know, you, you tutor for your one-of game-ending spell, and then you keep a counter spell in hand for whatever crap they got, so, and then you untap and finish the game off. So extend. I th- I like it mostly as a combo piece, but I think all of these are valid applications. So extend the premise to, like, Esper Control in Modern. You know, if you've got a counter spell in hand, let them have whatever they want, and and then you're yeah. and you're just gonna go get Teferi or Narset or the Days Undoing to complement the Narset that's in play or whatever. Right. Um, I I, yeah. I think it. I don't think it's a simple card. I think it's a very skill testing card. I think there's a lot of situations where it's not good, but the other part of the factor here is this is gorgeous Seb McKinnon art. Like, first of all, this guy is probably the preeminent Magic artist now. Yeah, everything, I would agree Everything he's done lately is amazing. Like, I, t- I laid out all the art cards from Modern Horizons because I got a full set in my first two boxes um, in a binder last night. And they put most of the Seb McKinnons in order for a reason because they are <laughs> amazing and convinced me completely that the art cards are something I want to own and I hope they do them for every set. Like, I think it improves hmm. magic culturally to recognize the artist to that extent and give us that little low value collectible like even if they you know maybe they're only ever going to be worth 25 cents to a dollar but people will want to own these for the same reasons that like people collect magic posters and and uh you know keychains and doodads and whatever um so it's seven kid and art the foils are going to look amazing because there's a a gold mask and a blue mask that's going to hyper pop in foil uh I'll be I'll be picking up a whole bunch of scheming symmetries. I can tell you right now. Yeah, I I think this card is uh, is really good, and you know I it's you know what it's almost a little bit of factor fiction, um or something like that because it's like sure your opponent can go get like the best card in their deck, but how often are they going to know what that is? Like there's going to be plenty of games where they're not going to know what the best card to get is, and even if they're there's there's always going to be right answer, but they're probably not going to know it all the time. Which means you're going to get they're they're going to pick the wrong card, and but you should be getting the right one every time, right? Like just elements like that make it even better. It's interesting. So I I just decided to finally look up what the Chandras do again in relation to re- repeated reverberation. Oh my god! This will be my final thought. So Chandra Acolyte of Flame is the one is another three casting cost Planeswalker. Comes in with four loyalty. Her first zero is put a loyalty counter on each red Planeswalker you control. So if you, on three, have Chandra Accolade of Flame, you put a loyalty counter on her, she goes to five. Let's say the attacker on their turn, take her down to three. On your turn, you drop Ravid, like Nickel Ballas the Ravager or something, and the turn after that, you drop Dragon God. When, if you set off Reverberation, put a loyalty counter on each red Planeswalker you control, would count Chandra and Bolas. She would put three counters on both of them. 
and then okay. and then he's got the game winning thing off minus eight or something, right? Yeah, and but potentially less janky. Chandra Awakened Inferno is the four double red six loyalty version of Chandra that can't be countered, mind you. Um, so good luck beating that with a control deck. The plus two is each opponent gets an emblem with at the beginning of your upkeep. This emblem deals one damage to you. So if you <laughs> if you cast the reverberation into that Chandra, they get bolted every turn. <laughs> that <laughs> yeah, I mean that sounds like fun. It sounds pretty win more, but also sounds fun. That's disgusting. And of course, like I'm just going to slot both of those cards into Nickel Bolas and EDH, and it's going to be good times. Sure. Yeah, I, I, that that makes sense. I, 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 sure, I agree with that. I agree with that. All right. So we've been through all the jank of the day, and uh, that should be it. All right. Where can our listeners find you, James? You guys can find me on Twitter at MDG Critic, as well as via my weekly articles on MDGPrice.com and occasionally on Vice.com in articles that I don't <laughs> know exist. <laughs> all right. And I'm Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at Wizard Bump and B U M P I N. I write. I do this cast and also write every Monday for MTG Price doing the Watchtower series. I would also like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com Pro Trader service for just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. The latest uh, example of which is an extremely... <laughs> good discount on russian boxes of modern horizons which have russian art cards russian foil snowlands russian force of negation sunbaked canyons the whole shebang almost almost every card from magic myth uh, modern horizons is in russian we're yeah and we're also hooking up uh, some pretty sweet deals on japanese war boxes and all sorts of other goodies so get ye the to the discord all right um once again mtg fast finance is proudly sponsored by coolstuffinc.com where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock including the best in magic gathering single sealed product and a plethora of other collectibles use the promo code finance5 during checkout at coolstuffinc.com to save five percent off your order and support this podcast brings us to the end of another episode of mtg5 <laughs> that brings yeah. us to the end of another yeah, episode of mtg fast finance uh episode 173 this week uh you're not gonna be around for the next two weeks i believe but we'll see you when you're back didn't even give me a chance to recover that's all right i'll uh I'll sleep <laughs> well that's it off normally my bit anyways so like i'll, I'll sleep it off in it europe up. and we'll be good okay all right i will i will uh, see you in two weeks james enjoy your trip Thank you, Travis. We'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.